Conscious Monkeys, before we start the show, I must warn you that there are ads throughout this podcast episode. If you'd like to get the show ad-free, you're able to get access by downloading the official Traveling to Consciousness app. It's available in the Google Play Store and iOS Store. I will note that there is a small monthly fee associated to get these episodes ad-free. And this is an important part. Make sure that any purchases you make, you make on the website, travelingtoconsciousness.com, because products are going to be 15 to 30% more expensive through the app because, you know, the big boys got to get their own check. Even though you're purchasing this stuff through the website, you will still be able to enjoy all this content on the app. Now, if you prefer the free route, you can get a free login on the app, and that will grant you access to challenges and notifications when new episodes arrive, discounts, exclusive content, and so much more. All of this just by searching Traveling to Consciousness in your phone's app store, or click the link below. Now, Conscious Monkeys, let's get the show started. spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. I almost forgot the name of the show. As always, I'm your host, Clayton Kiteri. And today's episode is going to be a unique one, very unique, very original, and something you've probably never heard before. We're basically going to be talking about my two ayahuasca experiences, and this is going to be the intro. And then we're going to go into uh, the, what would you call it, the integration conversation that I had with the two people who I sat with, which was Michael and Jamie. And then there's going to be an intro for part two. And then it will be the integration ceremony of part two. So in starting off, we are, there's a couple of disclaimers that I wish to make. I want to point out that in no way, shape or form, am I advising anybody to do ayahuasca and in no way, shape or form, am I advising anyone that they should do it with Michael and Jamie. Just the way that my, the story of my life has played out is that that's what I've done and who I've done it with. Now, with that being said, if they resonate with you, then so be it. Get in touch with them. I can help you out with that. But I just want to highlight that I am not promoting the use of ayahuasca, nor am I promoting these particular people. We all have our unique journey, our own journey. Honor that. And so please just know that this is me just relaying my own experience. With that being said, I do believe that there's a lot that everyone can learn from my experience because I'm a podcast host and ayahuasca knows I'm a podcast host and knew I'd share this. So strap in, buckle up and let's dive in. So the way I want to set this up is actually start just by explaining to you the way that I experienced this, because I know when we get into the integration session, there are things that Jamie and Michael and I all talk about as if you kind of already knew that these things happen. So I think it's best that I just jump in and explain to you guys 
what happened with me in my experience. I took notes, so I'm going to be referencing those. So it started off kind of early in the day and I was getting like this solar plexus pain. Like there was tension and tightness and it kind of felt like, um, what would you call it? Heartburn. And it's interesting too, because whenever I did my very first mushroom therapy, psilocybin therapy, I did a lot of work on my solar plexus. So I'm assuming that there's just more work to do, which is just a part of it. So into the, into the day we go and we kind of get in there. It's all like a nice cozy environment. It's all set up. And so we all sit down, we kind of do some, you know, basic stuff like here's what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. This is the process. We'll offer you another cup about an hour in if you're not feeling it, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, all right, cool. So from what I was told is I drank about half a cup and I kind of just sat there and meditated. I was like, all right, like I'm just going to meditate. And once the medicine kicks in, I'll just do whatever it is that it wants me to do. And this resonated with me. This resonated as the thing that I should do in this time period. And so that's what I did. And about an hour passed and I was offered another cup. And it was interesting because I wasn't feeling anything. I, I really didn't feel like I was in an altered state of any sort. And mind you, we're like in a pitch black room. Um, and so I was kind of like, all right, like kind of down for it, I guess. And so he actually poured me a full cup this time. So I drank that and I was kind of just sitting there at that point. I was just like, all right, like whatever's supposed to happen is supposed to happen. Like if I'm not supposed to trip out or have a, you know, crazy story for people on my podcast, then so be it. And whenever I said that, I actually threw up a little bit, not a whole lot, maybe just like a small amount. And I was like, whoa, okay, well, that was an interesting trigger in order to throw up. And so it went along and basically had that same thought process again, maybe about 30 minutes later. And so I threw up a little bit more, just once, just a little bit more. And I was like, all right, like after that one, um, it was kind of like, okay, like whatever. And I was able to actually lay down at this point. So earlier I wasn't able to lay down. Like I was trying to lay down and I was feeling uncomfortable when I laid down. I kind of was starting to get the spins. Like, you know how when you drank too much and you would go into bed and it's like this weird quasi like spin state. It's kind of what I felt like when I was laying down. However, after that second cup and after I had thrown up that little bit that second time, I was able to lay down. So once I was able to lay down, it kind of got interesting because it was at this point that I kind of felt, you know, queasiness in my stomach, some like upsetness. Um, and trying to think of how it played out and nothing like crazy happened. But then, uh, what happened was, is the, you know, Michael was like, Hey, like I can pour you more. And I was like, I'm really not sure. Like, it's just, I don't feel like I need it, but I'm not really in an altered state. So I don't know what that means. And he's like, well, like, you know, it's your call. And I was like, all right, like, let's try it. And so he ended up like pouring me a third one and handed it to me. And as he handed it to me, just everything in my stomach just started getting like upset, irritated. The heartburn got even worse. And I was just like, nope. I was like, I'm not supposed to drink this, like take this back, so to speak. 
And so then um, after that, I laid down and I was able to lay down and it was cool. Um, and so I started just breathing into my stomach. I kind of breathed into my stomach, breathed into my chest, and then breathed into my throat to kind of just open up the body. And it was interesting because at this point, I intuitively knew that there was like this snake that kind of like went into my body. It wasn't really a, let me think of how to describe it. It's not like I saw it. Like, you know how when you have a dream, you can see what's happening. But then there's the element of the dream where you drop in and you just already know what's going on. That latter portion, just already know what's going on, was kind of what I experienced. So anytime I'm describing like what I what happened, it was just like this knowing of what was happening. I didn't really see it per se, but I just knew that it was happening. And so what happened was is the snake kind of went into my body, went all throughout my organs, and just kind of moving through them. And it was interesting too, because as I'm saying this, I might be, I might, I feel like some of you might be thinking like, oh shit, a snake in my stomach. Like that would freak people out. But for some reason I was very calm with it. I kind of like welcomed the snake. I was like cool with it, like doing its thing within me. And so it went all throughout my stomach and then it kind of started to leave. And I was like, Hey, I have some like tension in my head and in my eyes. Like, can you check that out? And it dove in and messed with my eyes, messed with my head a little bit. And then really quickly, it also started to leave again. I was like, wait, 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 wait. I was like the solar plexus. I was like, you didn't touch that area. And it's like, it kind of hurting the most. And so it drops into like kind of through my mouth and starts to approach my solar plexus and it stops. And then it turns around and it's like, this is for you. At which point the snake kind of left me. And I was, I was kind of pissed. I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is the spot that hurts the most. And you're doing all this like cleaning and checking it out. Like you couldn't do this last part. So after I kind of calmed down and I was like, all right, whatever, like it is what it is. I was like, it's, I'm supposed to handle it. Like I can do this. Like, what do I need to do? And right whenever I finished that, I got up and threw up a third time. Now this third time was definitely a lot more violent than (laughs) uh, the first two. I probably threw up like three times in total, dry heaved on the last one. And what was crazy is that I was kind of like in a tabletop position. If you know yoga, um, where it's kind of like you're on all fours. And on the last dry heave, I came back to, and I could feel that my knees like hit the ground. So I'm pretty sure that I was just like up on my hands, like, like really getting into it. And so make of that what you will. My personal opinion is that this snake was collecting all the quote unquote bad stuff within my body, all the negative vibrations, and I had to purge it out. So that's what happened. And so at that point, like I felt pretty good after I did that. Like I was kind of just like, all right, cool. Like that was that, like we're good to lay down. And so I laid down and what came next to me was like three or four movies, like ideas. And I don't remember the first couple, but the last one was like very strong and a very, very uh, resonant thing that happened. Now, it was interesting because different parts of the movies like kind of came into me. It was like three quarters of the way through it. And then it was like one third of the way through it. And then it was like halfway through it. And then it was the beginning. And so it eventually created this entire picture. Problem was, is I actually only saw up to about like, what would be like the climax of the rising action. And I actually haven't seen the end of that movie yet. (laughs) And so maybe that's something I'll do tonight. And that's another case in point is that I'm actually 
doing my second ceremony tonight. And so I'm recording this in between. And I think that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, the other thing I want to mention about that movie is that I do not believe that I am supposed to share that through my podcast. I believe that that is something that I actually need to create a movie out of. I actually have like this deep, strong feeling that this is a movie that I'll create at some point in time. And if you're looking to get to know a bit more about Clayton, my goal is to be one of the greatest creators of all time, whether it's movies, music, podcasting, content. That's kind of my goal. It's kind of something that just really resonates with me. And of course, as all you know, I'm the greatest interviewer of all time. So always learning, always getting better. But you know, you guys, I'm sure you've heard the podcast already. So you know how great it is. <laughs> um, and then let's move on in the, and the, the jokes aside, let's move on in the uh, ayahuasca experience. It became interesting because then I started having this intuitive conversation with like my soul where I was having this dialogue with my soul where it was like, it was like me feeling as if I wasn't in control and that my soul was actually controlling me. And it was like this weird conversation of, excuse me. Um, it was this weird conversation of like, wait, like, am I in control? Like this dude created me. He's the one who chose for me to be here yet. I'm subservient to his free will. Like where's the free will. And then there was something in me that kind of like, felt weird about the conversation. It was like, something's wrong here. Can someone like figure this out for me? And right when I asked that, I like kind of mentally moved on from the, that, that conversation. And I think I kind of passed out. I think I just fell asleep for a little bit. And so, you know, I came back to it eventually and nothing really crazy happened again. I never really felt like I was in an altered state. That was kind of just like the intuitive things that came to me. And yeah. So like with that being said, we'll jump into the, um, se- the ceremony integration, which is what I'm going to play for you guys in a second here. And I honestly think that's probably far more powerful than my story there. I think this was a great intro to get you guys into understanding, but like the ceremony conversation, the conversation I had with Michael and Jamie, it was incredible. And I can't wait for you guys to listen to it, which you're about to do dot, dot, dot. But there was so much in there that even Michael and Jamie were saying to themselves afterwards, like, oh my gosh, like I learned so much from that. And it was crazy. Like that conversation we had, like it resonated so much with me. I learned so much. I didn't realize, or I didn't think of things in certain ways. And so I know if that conversation was good for me, if it was in between me and Jamie and Michael, if that was good for us, then it'll be good for you. So with that being said, let's just get right into it. I, I, think it's a really powerful conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. And so without further ado, here is my first ayahuasca integration. Conscious monkeys, I need to tell you about these psychedelic fabric mushrooms that are absolutely incredible that have just come across. They're all one of a kind and are honestly a perfect trip buddy. They're an incredible addition to anyone's like house or room who takes psychedelics and you have a certain spot that you like to go and relax. You're going to have to check out these Aquarius mushrooms. These high-end mushrooms are made with 100% recycled material and are all one of a kind. Honestly, these mushrooms are something I'm not going to be able to describe in words alone. You're going to need to check out the link below and search to see if you can find one that resonates with your soul. Remember, they're all one of a kind and made from 100% recycled material. Aquarius mushrooms. 
premium mushrooms for the new age of enlightenment. Get yours today. Conscious Monkeys, I need to bring your attention to this company that I've been using over the past few months, and probably longer now if you're hearing this, that has absolutely changed the way that I'm actually interfacing with the world. It's a company by the name of Conscious Technologies, and what they do is actually create these harmonizing units. And what it does is it actually takes the rotation of EMF frequencies that are in your area and harmonizes them. They make them in line with the true natural frequency of the universe around you. And they're incredible products. I actually went and I've tested out their quantum flow unit. I've tested out their meditation bed, their core harmonizer. And quite frankly, they were so incredible that I actually bought the cell phone EMF harmonizer for my cell phone. I was also lucky enough that Ross threw in a necklace as well. So I've been wearing that thing. And quite frankly, I'm even wearing it to bed and my dreams have become so vivid and just intense that it's pretty insane. I honestly feel so grateful to have it. Their mission is to bring forth technologies that support the harmony of mankind and the world at large. Go check out their stuff. I mean, looking's for free. And if I'm being honest, if you click the link below and make a purchase, I do get some kickback. But quite frankly, I wouldn't be promoting it if it didn't work. So with that being said, go check them out. Conscious Technologies, LLC. Link below. Now, let's get back to the interview. You feel anything? Yeah. Yeah, do you want to start? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And is it, a, I'm just going to talk about what's coming up or whatever. Yeah. Do whatever. I'll, I'm pretty open, but if I have to edit something. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. And this is actually, you know, if we were, if we were just sitting here doing a sharing integration circle, um, this is definitely something that we would share with people for processing or actively participating in the ceremony experience, you know, the next day or the next few days or the next few weeks, because you can come back again and again and ask this. And, you know, um, when we're in ayahuasca ceremony, so many different things can happen and so many different levels of consciousness can be engaged. And sometimes we can feel like, oh, definitely I was, I was in the altered state and, and other times it can feel sort of soft and, you know, kind of, I, I think I was having some experiences, but I'm not sure. But one thing we can always ask ourselves the next day and the following weeks and out into the future, as far as we want, is we can always say like, what did I learn? And so that's a great question to ask yourself after any ceremony. And, and, you know, I've, I've had a handful of ceremonies myself where I come out of it and I am like, what was that? I, I don't even, I don't, I'm not even sure what the point of that was. And my mind starts getting really involved and wanting to qualify it and quantify it and make decisions about it and, and try to figure out the meaning. But that basic question what did I learn um, can sort of strip away all the mind chatter, strip away. Well, was I in the altered state? Was I not in the altered state? Well, how deep was I actually? I don't know. I kind of felt like I was really in my body and I'm not sure, you know, it can kind of strip away all of that and just go straight to it. What did I learn? Um, and, and so that's a great question. That's a great question to, to apply after any ceremony. And if we sit with that, at least I've found this a hundred percent of the time, I realized that I've learned something. I had some experience that gave me some information, some awareness, some 
healing, some transformation, no matter how small or big I think it is. Um, that's another funny thing that the mind tends to do. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't grand enough, or it, it wasn't as profound as I expected it to be. But, but always, what did I learn? Um, we've worked, we've worked with, uh, you know, a, a lot of retreat participants. And again, I'll, I'll include myself in this because I've had ceremony experiences where I thought this, I'm not really sure what the point of that ceremony was. And, uh, you know, we'll hear participants sometimes, uh, say the next day in, in sharing integration circle, it's anything along the lines of, you know, not a whole lot didn't happen for me last night in ceremony. Um, I, and yeah, nothing really happened. I spoke to my past over grandma. She came and told me about this and this and this, and it made me have an understanding and awareness about that. I don't need to regret that anymore. And then my past over dog also blah, 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 but nothing really happened. <laughs> and, and they, they literally feel like they didn't have a ceremony experience. That's interesting. So we hear that often. We're always kind of inside sort of chuckling and, and, um, We've even heard ourselves say that ourselves. I've I've heard myself say that myself. Uh, you know, nothing really happened in ceremony. But I did go back and heal something from when I was seven, but not much happened. And then I'm like, oh, I'm that person, you so know? Not, not much happened. I just feel free and I'm not sad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't have anything to complain about, so I don't think any happened. <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be complaining. <laughs> another thing. Yeah. So that's, that's just a nice, um, that's a nice tool to, to take with you anytime, any ceremony, you so know, is that like just meditating on that question. Yeah. Just like, okay, what did I learn? It, sometimes the ego is like, nah, 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 you know, immediately starts going, we didn't learn things like, okay, for the ego's sake, did I learn anything last night? Of course, like it's a hundred percent. Yes. And then just sitting and filling into that. And what was it? And the mind's even going to be like, it wasn't big enough. It wasn't profound enough. It wasn't deep enough. I was expecting this oftentimes with ayahuasca. We hear this too, with participants, everybody wants to have visions and I still, um, I, I laugh with Michael. I still am not completely sure how to define a vision. Like what's a division, what's a vision, what's not a vision. Cause for me, anything I'm experiencing could be considered a vision, but I think people want to see yeah, like things. colors and geometric shapes. And it's interesting you say that because like, even in my experience, it was, it wasn't like I saw the things, but I just knew. Right. I was telling you how it was like a dream where you get into it and you just, you just know the situation. And that's kind of what I felt like is like, I didn't see anything, but I just knew what was happening around me. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because when we work with ayahuasca, there's different multidimensional, multidimensional senses that, that kind of come online, which we, which we have access to without uh, a state of ayahuasca, but especially if we've not really been doing intuitive work before or just kind of like kind of locked down in trauma or kind of locked in the matrix on whatever level, people can have the experience of coming into multidimensional uh, sensory awareness. So the clairvoyance being something where it's visionary, visionary but in the claircognizance is the, the knowing, which for me is much more clear, has a greater clarity 
when you just know something where it's like, I know, I just know this. It's not the interpretation of an image or a picture. Because as we were talking in the in the preparation, applying meaning to different imageries, applying meaning to different situations, you can literally apply any meaning to anything. But that knowing, which in our experience is that kind of the coming home to the truth of who you are, there's just that resonance. And as we were talking after the ceremony last night, you can feel when we were talking and processing a few different things, you could recognize what that resonance was just like, oh, this is unmistakably true for me, or this is not there. And it's like, there's nothing really to argue about that because it's just a knowing that's already there. It feels like it's an awakening to what's already there, the truth that's already there, not through creating something, but it's like a, a dissipating of all the stuff that's not the truth, all the layers of the onion that are ready to fall away. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And it's reminding me of what you brought up with the idea of like expectations. You know, it's like you... It's interesting too, because like, you know, you look at it from maybe the 3D mind and it's kind of like, a, it's not deep enough. Like that's, I feel like where that comes from. It's like, oh, it's not deep enough. Like that has to be like such a 3D mind perspective versus like, if you sit there and nothing happens at all, your 3D mind's going to be like, oh, that was a waste. That was nothing. But in reality, if you ask yourself, like, what did I learn? It's like, maybe you needed to learn to be bored. Like maybe you needed to learn nothing, you know? And so it's like, and obviously that's probably a pretty extreme example, but even like, you know, with myself, it's like, there's always, it feels like there's almost always a lesson. And I don't know if that's me overanalyzing things, but it's like, I don't know where I'm trying to go with this. Something with like releasing expectations, because then you like realize whatever's supposed to happen will happen and whatever did happen was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what comes to mind is, well, firstly, we're doing the one out of two ceremonies. So this is, as we kind of mentioned, this is kind of like the the part one. Right. Like, and then kind of getting used to the medicine, sitting with the medicine. Really a lot of cleaning work was done last night through the Icaros, through the healing songs of cleaning, like mind fog, cleaning negative thoughts, cleaning the patterning and behavior. So there's a, a lot of releasing of that. So very interesting to see what your second ceremony experience will be through the integration of what's arising. Now, you can also see this perhaps as looking out at one of the fields that we have in the windows behind us. And to the what meets the eye, you might just see uh, a barren field and it would just look like, okay, well, there's, there's a field there, but some farmer has gone, he's plowed the field, he's cleared it all, and then the seeds have been planted, but those crops may not reveal themselves for three months until they're ready. So the work that we do with ayahuasca the, 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 the deep, profound work in our experience is about how one changes their life. And it's not about the ceremony experience. When one has the impotence to, or the, the focus on the ayahuasca ceremony itself, that is a three to six hour experience, depending on however long it is, of one's life. Simultaneously, that point of planting the actual seed is a very short period of time where the seed's actually going into the ground. But the preparation work and then the integration work in the field analogy of them watering and tending to that, integrating and following on from the question what Jamie said of what did I learn? And then the next question that comes from that really for me is super important is 
how do I embody or anchor this new vibration into my life? And that comes with conscious choice, change, and action based upon the new vibration which you're feeling. So it might not be conscious choice, action on a vision, which can often be detrimental if one is unable to be aware of what that vision might have actually truly been. As we mentioned, it could have been things leaving the body and then going around in circles, chasing visions, chasing dreams, which is a pitfall for working with, with plant medicine. And it can be difficult for people who are unaware about how to navigate that realms, applying unnecessary meaning to things and then chasing those things. So the important question, as Jamie was saying, is what did I learn? And then whatever that may be, also, it might just be noticing, I feel the spaciousness. I don't feel triggered in this situation. I used to feel jealous. I don't feel as jealous anymore. Mm. Oh, wow. I just not really feel like I want to eat fast food anymore. Right. Oh, wow. Actually, I'm feeling like being really more creative. I'm actually just like becoming a movie writer or whatever it might be. <laughs> I don't know what you were sharing last night. Uh, just all these different things. So it's like noticing the subtleties of that and then really where the power comes is because these plant medicines, they're recognizing, they're helping us to recognize the power of our own consciousness. So with that informed choice of being aware of the resonance of what resonates with you, what's true, as you were saying, that just that deep knowing, then taking conscious choice to anchor that vibration, ultimately creating more freedom and choice and awareness in those choices to then live the life that you prefer. For sure. And <clears throat> What was kind of really resonating out of that was the whole analogy with like the farmer and, you know, what it has me thinking about is it's like, and this kind of ties into my snake um, experience and we'll get into that in a sec, but the, the core concept though being is like, you can't have the corn without doing all this work that looks like on the surface, nothing's happening on the surface. It looks like there's no corn, right? But you know, it takes months, I'm sure, maybe, I don't really know, but let's say it takes months for like the seed to sprout, for the roots to grow. And then for just that first bit of the green, you know, stem to come up out of the ground. And then from there, I'm sure it accelerates, right? And I think this goes back to what you were saying, Jamie, about the, um, trying to lose my train of thought here. Oh, with like how people are like, oh, nothing happened. And it's like, you know, it depends where you're looking, right? It's like, you kind of hit that surface level of like nothing happened, but the roots are being grown, the seeds there. And then it comes back to what you were saying, where it's like, well, now, um, once you're in these situations, you're like, why am I no longer looking at porn? Why am I no longer worried about my body image? It's like, I feel like that's whenever you start seeing like the grass would be coming up from, um, or the, the stems would be coming up from that corn. Yeah. I think, I think that's really great to follow on from that. And <clears throat> Jim, did you have something that you wanted to say? Mm -hmm. I felt like I could feel you. <laughs> Backing back out. <laughs> I was about to talk and everything just went blank. Jamie's there just like. <laughs> this, is where, this is where you jump in. This is how we do that with each other. I'll be like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's Michael's turn. I'm going. Okay. Um, yeah. So another thing I, I think, Clayton, that, he, you know, I'm realizing as you're talking to Michael and I speak about this with each other often, but you know, it's not something, it's not something that really makes its way out and away from our conversations. Um, but as you're talking, I'm like, Oh, I think this feels like an appropriate time for it. Like, so as we're leading and facilitating ceremony, you know, we're stepping, we know we're stepping into our role as 
for lack of a better phrase, multidimensional healers, just meaning that we're we're consciously plugging into the multidimensional realm and spirit and the plants and our higher selves. And we know we're working as a team, um, you know, and, and like with you in, in ceremony, our intention is just to be of service to you, whatever that is that you need in ceremony. And we trust that your higher self and your spirit team and everyone will show us and work through us. Now, what happens, there's two sides to the ceremony coin. There's us working as facilitators and multidimensional healers, and there is a load going on. There's with anyone, anytime, any in, in any ceremony. And so there's a lot of work going on, and we're privy to a lot of the different work going on and what's happening and where the energy wants to go and, and where the songs want to move and and sort of, okay, now it's about love and now it's about nurturing and now it's about and so we're involved and see and experience a lot of things going on. And by the time ceremony's over, we're both like, that was a lot of work, you know, but every ceremony is a lot of work and it's fantastic. And it's what we love doing. We, we just like love it. Um, and then if you're a participant and I say this again, because like Michael and I, we'll do ceremony just together. And there's oftentimes Michael leads ceremonies singing and he's doing work for and on me and having and being privy to all this stuff. And then I'm, of course, over there having my own experience. I don't know what he's doing. I'm just over there having my own experience. And then after ceremony, we we link up and like, hey, what how was ceremony for you? What happened? And then, you know, I'm like, what kind of work were you doing on me? What was going on? What were you seeing? And uh, you know, he'll tell he'll tell me what was going on. And sometimes it doesn't link up with what I experienced. And it's not supposed to, it can, but it's not like, oh, it's going to link up beautifully and I'm going to feel everything that happened that Michael did. But I've been in enough ceremonies as a facilitator and for my own self that I know it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't have to be privy to the work that's going on on me to benefit from it. And, um, I also don't have to know, you know, there's been times too, where I, I know like Michael's told me like a year later, he's like, yeah, it just didn't feel appropriate to tell you about something I saw in ceremony. It felt like you needed to stumble onto that yourself. And, mm. and then lo and behold, I do. And he's like, yeah, I saw that in ceremony for you about a year ago. You know, it's just kind of, it makes me emotional. But so the thing is, it's absolutely normal and common for the participant to be in their own experience and have no idea of all the work that's going on but it's like, just know, and, and this is for anyone, just know that it, anyone who's leading ceremony and facilitating and, and has a certain level of adeptness in that multidimensional realm and healing, there's so much loving work going on. It's ridiculous. And we don't even know what it is half the time. Half the time we're like, there's this thing. And then there was this light that came up and then, and it was so beautiful. You know, it's like, I don't know what that was, but apparently that's what that person needed. And then we also know that it's never meant for the participant, the person who's receiving, they may never know all that work was done, but we know what was done. Does that make sense? So it's on that unconscious level, that multidimensional level. It doesn't have to be consciously made aware of to be done 
if that right. makes any sense. So like even, even like, for instance, like last night, if you know, you're having, you're like, yeah, I just, I'm not really sure. I don't, I didn't really feel like I was in it. And I don't know, I had a few things come up and, and we're like, okay, you know, and I'm listening to you and I'm, I already know I'm like, so many, so many things happened for you last night. And, um, and I trust that. And I know that like, like Michael said, the seeds have been planted right? and, um, we don't have to know what they're going to look like or when they're going to grow or what crops going to form. But we just, um, we're like, you had a lot of, you had a lot of spirits. You had a lot of plants. You had a lot of love with you last night. It's good to know. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I know, like I, I'm like I'm confident that that the strongest part was like kind of that snake that I was talking about earlier. That knowing that there was like that snake that was kind of going through my body and going through like what it felt like. It didn't feel like it. It was just like that knowing again. It wasn't. It goes back to the whole vision thing. Is it's like it's almost like I didn't physically see it, but I just knew that there was like a snake kind of going through my stomach, through my organs, like kind of just moving around whatever needed to be moved around. And it was funny because after that was done, that whole situation where it went into my head and then I asked it to like go to my solar plexus where, you know, all of that, you know, stuff was stored. It was funny because I like looked at it and then turned around and was like, that's for you. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck do you mean? That's right. You're like, you're, like, you're clearing everything out. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> don't stop. Yeah, don't stop. <laughs> this is the biggest spot. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, so that was interesting because, and I think I mentioned this last night was it was that there was after, before each time I threw up, there was like this feeling of like, all right, like, I guess this is what's supposed to be happening. Or I trust that this is from my highest self. And it was after that, that snake, like just looked at that spot, turned around and I was like, all right, well, like, you know, once I got past like the whole, like, come on, just finish your job. It was like, all right, well, I guess this is just for my highest self. That was whenever it like clicked. And then I just, you know, I got pretty, let's say violently threw up. Um, and so I think that was like a very common theme that was coming up for me. It was like trusting the process, realizing you don't need to have these grandiose visions of the universe and of, you know, whatever it is, a past life and yada, 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 in order to have healing, or you don't need to make it bigger than what it is in a sense. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a, an interesting point as well, that some things can be moving through the body and when we can get that feeling and it sounds like I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, there is this kind of like level of relief of, oh, wow, there's this, there's a spirit, there's medicine working through my body. It's cleaning things that I don't even really know what's there. Wow. What have I been carrying? Oh my gosh, I'm having this opportunity for healing. And then it's like, there's the big bit. What are you doing? And I've experienced this so many times and I'm like, no, I don't want to have any of this left in me. I want to be completely, you know, the people who are like dedicated inner truth seekers able to then say, well, I want to, I want to do everything hundred percent. I want to really be free. I want to live without limitation. I want to live beyond the trauma. I want to embody love, truth, et cetera, et cetera. So what can then happen is if a blockage remains because of the trauma states that we may have grown up in or societal uh, paradigms, 
we may think, what have I done wrong? Or I didn't do it good enough? Or why didn't it release this? But more often than not, it's because there's a treasure within that energy that's like, well, for you to fully let go of this, you have to integrate the lesson so that you don't keep then Mm. acting, behaving in a certain way that will accumulate that type of energy again. So it's actually way more powerful if something remains, if it has to, so that you can then fully release it at the root rather than just having the superficial kind of like, oh, we'll do everything for you. And then you won't integrate that. And then you won't actually make conscious change. And it's reminding me, I think, of where I kind of am in my current life, where, you know, I've kind of hit this inflection point of seeing whenever, you know, there's people operating from, let's say, more negative or lower vibrational energy than where I am. And there's a level of me of wanting to help them. But I've realized it's like, you can really only help someone who wants help. And where am I trying to go with this? The idea that losing it now. You're saying the, oh, oh, like people kind of need to experience things for themselves. It's like, that's the only, Mm -hmm. like, I can tell you, you know, how to start a business. I can tell you how to make space in your body, how to pinpoint it in your body. But there's a level of like, if I can, and and it's weird too, because if I can quote unquote, see the problem that you're having, that where the trauma is coming from, first of all, I could be slightly wrong because you experienced it and I'm only interpreting it from the way that you're vibrationally giving it off mixed with my personal vibration. So for you to fully embody that healing, you can't just have like a random snake from, you know, a different dimension come in and clear it for you. You need to be aware of it yourself in order to recognize that pattern in your life, in your every day so that you can then go and like you're saying, do the work, do the integration. And that way, it almost becomes more cemented. It becomes more real for you as opposed to somebody else doing it for you. you yeah, I'm could just double checking. I've got something, but you go first. <laughs> so yeah, it makes a really interesting point and part of the integration, which you'll, you'll have the, um, the link to the page on our website. We talk about integration in well, three different parts of medita- uh, the integration as automatic, semi-automatic, and manual. So we could describe in that experience of the snake going through the the body and then something moving and then purging. That was an automatic experience where something has been purged. It's something something's moved through, something's changed, and it feels like there's maybe some more spaciousness on the other side of that. That's something that's just happened to the ceremony experience. Then we talk about something that's semi-automatic, which we could maybe talk about that solar plexus energy that some cleanings happened, and there's an awareness, and then there might be more awarenesses to arise where it's like, okay, I need to eat less of this food or do more exercise or whatever it may be to help integrate that. Or I need to go and speak to someone and say that I'm sorry for this. And then we have like the complete like manual type of experiences where one person might just find themselves and say, well, okay, I can understand. I can see an awareness about myself. It doesn't really feel like something's actually changed other than my awareness. But for me to anchor this in, I must take conscious action. Just like for instance, if someone wanted to lose weight, for example, that wouldn't necessarily happen in an ayahuasca ceremony, but then someone might be able to be aware of the trauma, what's been around that, and then take conscious action in their life to change their eating habits, their lifestyle. Now, ultimately, each stage more than likely has an automatic, semi-automatic, and a manual, but it's the idea for the integration is about not needing to overanalyze and overthink 
trusting in the process that things have changed, things have occurred, trusting in the higher self, a complete acceptance of experience exactly as it is, but then thinking, how do I anchor that in through creating a conscious action plan of things that would be action points of the version of you that you want to be, the vibration that you prefer, taking decisions on your behalf. So you start thinking and acting from a different space. And that's what really integrates that into physical reality, taking it from the ayahuasca realm, from the plant spirit realm into physical reality. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And now I'll um, add on, I think to a little bit of what you were saying too, you know, with, um, with your experience and I love that snake. Um, you know, I, I even am aware of and notice in work outside of ayahuasca ceremony, outside of plant spirit healing, when I'm just doing an intuitive reading for someone, you know, in a private session, um, I notice with students and clients, there's this thing that happens with spirit. And when I say spirit, I mean, your spirit team, your higher self, everyone that shows up to, to bring through messages for someone in an intuitive reading. There's this thing that happens with spirit where if someone comes in and they're, they're what I would call just like a beginner, maybe someone's coming in as a student and they're just now, they're just now like, uh, I think I might be intuitive and I want to work with it. And they're just recognizing it or, someone comes in as a client and they're like, I've never really had an intuitive reading before. And my friend suggested this. And so I don't really know what to do. And so someone who's just sort of opening up to the world of spirit guidance, you know, higher path, all this stuff. I always say spirit has a tendency, I notice, to sort of spoon feed people who are just coming in. And, and it's like spirit will have a lot to share with someone. This, 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 oh, this, 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 oh, and that's happening because of this. And, and the person will get a lot of guidance and then they choose to do what it, what they want with it. But, and I also notice when someone's a little further along their path of inner truth seeking and they've been doing it a while and they're navigating, they've got tools, they know how to show up for themselves and how to sort of seek into themselves. When they ask questions, when the student asks questions or the client asks questions about, you know, I'm trying to figure out the right decision to make here, or, you know, when I face this, I'm not really sure what to do. Spirit has a tendency to lead them through a guided visualization so that they discover it on their own or spirit will pose questions back to the person to have them do a deeper introspection on it for themselves. And so it's less spoon feeding mm -hmm. and more sort of invitation for the person to discover it for themselves. And I notice that. And sometimes when I'm working with clients and someone's like, I'm trying to figure out exactly what to do here. And I plug in with spirit and I'm like, say the client's name, Cindy. I'm like, Oh, Cindy, you're not going to like this spirit apparently thinks that you've got your own answer inside, you know, and it also conveys to me the level of where the person is and their mm -hmm. own understanding. And then these th same things, like you guys have both just described your own experience and Michael expanded on these things happen in ayahuasca ceremony. And, you know, even with us in our own trajectories of, of doing this facilitation and leading ceremony and, and healing work in ceremony, we are constantly learning and tuning and sharpening and discerning in our own sort of, as we're facilitating, we're constantly learning, constantly sort of in training. 
And, um, you know, for instance, last night to apply this, there was an instance last night in ceremony for me where I recognized, I was like, oh gosh, you know, like Michael said, we've been out of our house. It's being fumigated. The floors were being varnished. There's too many chemicals. We were sort of displaced for a little bit. We've got stuff in our house moved in other rooms to make room to fumigate. Everything's a little out of sorts and kind of hodgepodgey. And Michael and I are both feeling like, is this even a house right now? You know? So last night in ceremony, I had this moment where I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm living in an environment that is not conducive to me and and it's messing up my energy. And I kind of have this realization of like, this has to change. We have to change this immediately. And then the the second I finished that experience, something came in and said, what meaning did I just apply to all that? And I was like, oh, that's something's wrong. It was like, nothing's wrong. It's just the experience we're having right now. We can change it and it will change. It was like, oh, okay, so it's fine. But both were completely valid in there at the same time. Right. Then they still coexist. I'm like, it's enough. We need to get this figured out because I don't feel great. And the other part of me is like, it's fine. It'll, it'll change soon. But I'm still sitting here today. Sort of my integration is I'm, I'm feeling that like, which one do I, which one do I side with? It's interesting because the way that resonates with me is the masculine versus feminine. Like the masculine is we need to do something. We need to fix this. We need to get over this. And then the feminine is like this. It is what it is. You know, we'll just go through it. And it's, interesting because as a reflection for myself like that's a balance that i'm still i think trying to work out in my life where i'm still trying to figure out that balance between all right i'm just going to kind of go with the flow money will show up whenever it needs to show up i can just travel the world i can just work on my podcast and money will show up whenever versus like that masculine energy of like i need it now and i and it's interesting because i don't think obviously it's like a spectrum it's like you go too far to either side of that it's not healthy and so you got to kind of find that middle ground. And it's interesting because in one of my podcasts, we talked about how it kind of like, it kind of is always shifting kind of between that middle point. You never, you're never going to be like perfectly in the middle. You got to just kind of figure out which way you need to side with each, each situation. And this kind of goes back into our ceremony yesterday where, and I even told you guys this, where there was times where I could see the, you know, both of you being married, I could see like, when one of you was embodying the masculine and one of you was embodying the feminine, like there was a time whenever, you know, obviously Michael held it the most, the masculine, you held the feminine the most, but there was a moment where Michael kind of started getting more sick and you went over and I could just instantly see that shift of like you embodying the masculine and then Michael being more in his feminine of just like, all right, I got to, you know, just deal with this. It is what it is. More is like, you're like, what do you need? Like, what can I do? You know what I mean? And so it's a very interesting dynamic that I'm still trying to figure out within myself. And it's cool to kind of see that reflection, like a within your relationship and then B within that story of yours. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I like that. Um, I can feel that when you're saying that masculine energy and that feminine energy and, um, you know, and I appreciate that reflection back from what you experienced with us, because like, we we often feel like we flip roles quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love how he's getting everything done. And then I'm like, oh, I love that he's like receptive and sensitive and listening. And and like we both kind of go back and forth and and 
in our relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. so it's like, um, yeah, I, all of us, no matter, no matter our, you know, physical biology or our gender identification or lack thereof, we all hold the masculine, the feminine within us. And, um, yeah. So I, I love that. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. I was going to ask, so basically on a few things that we've been sharing here, what, what do you feel like if anything is formulated so far as kind of like a take homes from, from your ceremony last night? I feel like the, the big pieces, again, I think we kind of discussed is like just trusting. I feel like, you know, with that, going back to that farmer analogy, I think the snake going through clearing out all the stuff, um, kind of was like that setting the groundwork because ayahuasca knows that we have another ceremony coming up tomorrow. And so it's like, all right, let me kind of show you what this feels like, like what you could quote unquote expect, like what's going to happen. And it's funny too, because like in the past few days, I've been thinking like better safe than sorry. Like, you know, let's, you know, <laughs> I'll take it easier than too hard at the beginning. And it's, it's an interesting reflection for me because I've always been very much in my masculine where it's like, just, give me it all. Just let's go, let's do it all. Like just, just whatever I'm going to get, just give me it now and we'll get through it. And so again, I guess that comes back to that reflection of like, you know, whenever I'm sitting there, whenever, you know, the kind of my throw up triggers were almost me saying to myself, like, it is what it is. Just trust the process. And then, you know, I'd throw up. And so, um, I find that very interesting. I also find that movie script interesting, which I'm not sure if I want to share that yet with people because <laughs> I don't know if I actually want to make that a movie myself. <laughs> um, but we also don't have the ending to it, which is also super fascinating to me because there was that strong dynamic again with the masculine and feminine, you know, roles within uh, within that story that came through. And so, you know, um, yeah. And so I guess... I'm really fascinated to know if I'm going to get the last piece of that story in the, in the next session or, you know, what's, what's going to happen with that. And so I guess there's, you know, I, I really think my main takeaway from the last ceremony, from the first ceremony was that the seeds are being planted, you know, that it was that, you know, clearing the, clearing the grass, putting the seeds down there, maybe watering it. And you know, just that re-emphasizing of trusting the process, that re-emphasizing of just belief in everything's going to be all right, everything's supposed to work out. And so I don't know. I mean, I think that's my main takeaway from the first one. And again, it's even taking that into the next ceremony. It's like, don't even take in an expectation of even the crops grow up more. It's like maybe more seeds need to be planted, which mm -hmm. is totally cool as well. Yeah, that's really good. And I think just brought up another important point with regards to sharing about your experiences. Excuse me one second. Um, sharing of your experiences. Sometimes that these experiences have not crystallized, like the, the metamorphosis is not completed. So it's like the, the butterfly is not ready to leave the, the chrysalis. Um, and you can, we're sticking with the farmer analogy. It's kind of like planting those seeds and then trying to harvest those seeds and share them with others before it's fully, before it's fully grown into a tree. And when it's kind of grown into a tree, then yeah, you could like take a branch off and you could prune that and you could plant that and share that with others. So the important point of the integration process 
feels to me as well is that sometimes the ego can go want to kind of like analyze, share, create these things. And, and, and I would say sometimes dilute the experience. I mean, and we're in a situation where we, you know, we were talking very openly last night and we were in the experience where this is a container that's held to help nurture those seeds grow. You know, we're here as like the fertilizer to help you continue to grow in your own way, to be reflections back for you to, so you can work out how that garden wants to grow. Yet when perhaps you're in a situation or environment where you might go back to family or friends who are not perhaps open to plant medicines, who are not necessarily on a spiritual path, sometimes they can invalidate experiences which have been quite profound. And rather than seeds of, of, of profundity like being planted, it's like the seeds of doubt which are kind of like the weeds in your own garden. So you don't want to have too many of those weeds in your garden until that your crop is, is strong enough to be on its own. Because sometimes people have a hard time understanding that there is another choice other than suffering. It's like there is, you don't have to live a life full of trauma. And if I'm over here facing my addictions and I'm sharing with you about healing my addictions on some level, that creates an awareness that there's something else possible. So a lot of times people can just shut that down and invalidate because they don't want to look at themselves. So you have to be very, <clears throat> very um, important and careful to choose how, what, and why you share that because it can be quite deflating when one has this life-changing experience and someone's so excited about this and you share it and then it's just like, ah, I think you were high on drugs and it's like, Oh, I feel like I've just like healed right. ancestral generation trauma. <laughs> this is plant medicine. I flew all the way to Peru. <laughs> and like, you know, you know how much I threw up in that bucket, yeah. you know? And then it's like, and it's, I looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just, just being, be aware of how you share that and allow that to be nurtured and grown. And the best way in our experience of how to be an advocate for plant medicine is not to be a salesman or saleswoman or salesperson. It's more about just living and anchoring in that new vibration. As we were talking, what have I learned? How do I anchor in that new vibration? And then when that glass is is overflowing and that cup's overflowing, that becomes infectious in a way that someone's just like, what happened? What shifted? Right. And then it's like, well, I had this experience where I went through this process. And then when you perhaps wait before sharing that, in a way that you've just mentioned about this this story, whether it has more to be told or not, it's not important. But when you wait more for that, sometimes you can incorporate more of the actual truth rather than the kind of clutter of what it seems to be the the superficial experience where we can extract truth from that. And then that can be more empowering for people so that they can also then be empowered to connect to their own truth. Yeah, and I think the most powerful thing you said there was about the idea of like, kind of almost regulating who you share things with. Because as I was starting like my awakening journey when I was in San Diego, there was times where I had these profound realizations and exactly what you're saying, I'd share it with somebody, but then they'd have that like block. They'd be like, "Mm, I don't see it that way. Like that's not true. And I'd be like, shit, like, am I thinking of that wrong? Like what's wrong there? But it was, this was me when I was stepping into it. And I think an element of the podcast is for me to find those people in the world who do resonate with this message, who are on this like open-minded, like, huh, like, I wonder if like, and so to your point, like there is this element of me 
like I like I feel like with the podcast, like the audience, like I can just share whatever the fuck I want, and like everyone will just be like, "Well, that's interesting." Like, let me think about how that influences my life. Like, as opposed to just being like, "Nah, like you're just a drug stoner." Like, blah 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 blah. Like, I don't believe this. Like, whatever. And where am I going with that? Yeah, it comes back to the story. And I know before one of the things I was thinking and kind of saying to Mother Ayahuasca was like you know, I am planning to talk about this on my podcast. So like, you know, like give me like some signs or something if I'm not supposed to share stuff or if what, like, you know, cause I'm, I want to share as much as possible to help other people. But if like, I'm not ready to share something, like, let me know. And it's funny because it comes back to this like movie story where it's like, I just can already feel that it's not, I don't, part of me thinks to not share it because someone might quote unquote, take the idea and like make a movie. But even if that is like, I don't have a fear of that happening, but I think that that even like little seed of thought is the hold back from sharing. Like we're not ready to share that yet. And I think it's fascinating too, because it's, there's like a story of my past lives with like the Akashic records and like a, you know, a story that I've told pretty frequently where, um, relates to my sexual trauma from like a past life. And, you know, I've shared that pretty openly and it's kept on evolving throughout like the podcast journey, like over the last eight months. And so, you know, it kind of goes back to what you're saying is like, you know, (laughs) and it kind of goes back maybe to like a masculine feminine of, you know, how much do you share? Like, where's the border of like keeping something to your, I guess it's more boundaries, like keeping stuff to yourself versus sharing with other people. Like, you know, maybe, and again, maybe this like movie script story isn't supposed to be something I share on the podcast. Maybe it's something I'm actually supposed to go, I don't know, direct, star, whatever it is. And that's my way of sharing that story with people. Yeah. It's like, it looks yeah. like good with you guys. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, like, it's really, I mean, that's what you're saying is to me bang on and, and perfect for what, to me, every ceremony gives us the opportunity to do is have our own discernment. And also like, I think even the ego wants to be like, the ego wants to grab onto everything. I'm cracking up because mine's doing it right now. But the ego's like, yeah, I'm going to have discernment and I'm going to know what works for me and what doesn't. And then I'm like, well, hold on, feminine energy. Hold on. It's going to change every moment. Mm-hmm. What I do in one instance will shift the next instance, and then I'll reassess and have new discernment in this new moment with this person in this environment. And I may divulge a lot, and the next time I may not say anything. So it's like also having, sorry, also having that freedom to, um, to change your mind. Also having that freedom to not have to, oh, the discernment I had just now about what this means or how I'm going to apply this or, or what boundary I'm going to have. Also, the second you do that going, guess what? That can change and it will, you know? And so that sometimes is, and again, for my ego, that sometimes di- is difficult for the ego because the ego wants to have the rules laid out to follow, to be able to like, sort of be my ego, be the good student. Am I getting an A plus? I've followed these rules. I've discerned. I've got the boundaries. I know what they are. Am I approved of yet? But it's like perpetually, perpetually, the invitation is to have that discernment in that moment, whether it's in waking life and in us here right now, or whether it's in ceremony, whatever's going on. But um, 
but yeah, I, that's brilliant. And like for, I know for us, you know, one of the things that we really love, um, that we're kind of constantly, uh, diving into and applying to our own lives. And then we love, um, supporting and, 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 uh, empowering other people to do the same. And when we see other people do it, we're like, uh, you know, our eyes kind of cross and we get super excited, but like just stepping into that, that personal truth every moment and like, okay, in this moment, it looks like this. Oh, wow. Now over here, it looks like this. Okay. Now I've got this boundary over here, but over here, I'm going to loosen it up a little bit. Oh, and I get to do that. No one gets to say anything about it or people get to say things about it and I still get to do it because that's, what's true for me. And so if someone's like, Oh, that doesn't match up. Cause last time you did this, or you said this, or you it's like, doesn't have to match up. It's the truth of how I feel right now. It's the truth of what my discernment is right now. It's the boundary I have, or it's how I'm showing up in this moment and being able to do that from moment to moment and find that without having to have definitions on it and rigid structures on it. And, um, you know, it's just funny. I'm even sitting here thinking with Michael and I, he and I are constantly changing constantly. And so, and one of the things I love about him so much is we may be talking about something and I'm like, well, wait a second, because last time, last week you said da, 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 da. And he's like, yeah, that was last week. Today's Tuesday. I'm a different person now. Stop holding me to that's not what's last week. <laughs> and uh, he says it is, he says it is a joke, but it's legit. And so when he says that, I kind of get a snap, like, okay, I'm telling some story where I think he's supposed to stay the same and I'm going to hold him to it. And now I'm going to get to be mad about it. And it's my story I'm telling about that whole thing. So when he'll do that, when I'll be like, I don't care that I said that last week, I'm saying this today. I'm like, okay, touche. Good one. All right. You know, and it gives me an opportunity to lighten up too and be like, I'm okay. I can, I can respond differently to this too. But uh, yeah, that discernment, that was, I thought, I feel like what you said was brilliant. At least the tingles in my head went off. Can I just add a little bit to the sermon? (laughs) (laughs) It's very interesting. Again, we've kind of just like gone into this in quite depth already, but the reasons of why to share of of like, firstly, of like managing your own personal energy. And I think I want to talk about two extremes of something else that can also be aware of is that sometimes, sometimes people can think, and, and the thing is really comes into the ego that, oh, I shouldn't share this. This information is only for me. I'm the special one. And there's a kind of a distortion in that as, again as well. So there's the kind of like the managing of the energy. And then there's the recognition that we're all one and that what we can share, if it's going to be beneficial for other people's uh, consciousness expansion. But then it goes to the other side of them. Sometimes people rec- realize, I've learned all this thing in an ayahuasca. Everybody now should not eat meat everyone who eats meat's bad or something, you know, or whatever it may be right. or whatever it might be of like, oh, we should only do this thing or this thing and this thing. The absolutism. And, yeah. And everyone has their own direct experience. So recognizing that everyone has their own unique experience. And that's really, really great. If someone's just like, great, I feel like I really want to change my eating habits. I want to eat vegan or vegetarian or whatever it may be, or I only want to shop at this shop or I want to do this type of thing or, you know, and plant medicines are going to save the world. It's like, 
not everybody needs to drink plant medicine. It's not going to be for everybody. Right. Some people can be contraindicated. Some people, it won't be the right type of experience to help transform. So again, it just it comes back to just keeping that ego in check, connecting to the heart and sharing with a pure intention of, 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 of the truth. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah, no, I'm all on board with that. Uh, there's a couple things you were saying that I was trying to, I, I felt like I had something I wanted to say on. What was it about? Oh, well, the one, the first, or maybe this was the second one, but the first one was like about how you kind of like change moment to moment. And that was something that I experienced with TikTok because I started a, like I kind of did this thing where I was like, um, it's called the gospel of Thomas, which is like a writing that they left out of the Bible. That's like about Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of controversy around whether or not Jesus actually said what's in this thing. And I approached it from like this viewpoint as like, well, what if, you know? And so I made like the first video I made about it got like 2 million views on TikTok, which was insane. But what happened with it is that the part of the reason it got so many views was because it was so controversial. There were so many people like in the, I guess it's biblical canon, which is like the original Bible. And they're like, well, this isn't in it because of this. And so they kept spreading it around more and more. And what became interesting with it is that there's 114, 114 sayings in it. And so I'm kind of like doing this progression where it's like, I think I'm on like number 46 at this point, and I'm just kind of going one by one. And it, I, I know that I now will like say things and then people will come into the comments. It's like, you didn't say that at quote number 30, like you're saying this at quote 40, but you're not like quote 30, you were saying something else. And I'm like, yeah, I was like, my opinion's allowed to change. <laughs> I was like, your opinion's allowed to change. And people come in the comments and are like, don't listen to this guy. This guy's wrong. And I'm like, I always encourage people to find their own truth. Like, just listen to what I say, take it or leave it. Like, I'm very upfront with like, take it or leave it. This is my opinion. This is what I see. And it's so fascinating how it, there's so many people who will comment like, yes, like, this is it. Like, I, this is so cool. Like, I've never viewed it this way. Like, your interpretation was so much better than what I thought. But then there's other people who are like, He's spreading the devil's word. Don't listen to him. This is wrong. Go look it up. Like this is all wrong. Like there's, so it's like, it's very interesting to see that polarization. And then there's another whole element of not diving into it myself to actually like come back to the whole roots and the weeds in my own garden, which it definitely exposed a lot because it's like a lot of that trusting myself. It's like, wait, if there's all these people, these theological professors who have studied this stuff forever, it's like, how do I know that they're right and not or, and not me? But then it comes back to the resonance. It's like, well, what resonates with me? What is my honest truth? What mm -hmm. aligns with my highest truth? And it's like, I'm allowed to have an opinion. All I'm doing is like saying, hey, this is the gospel of Thomas. Somebody said this, like they didn't put it in the Bible. Why not? Here's what they said. Now here's my opinion. And so it's, it's very fascinating how that either triggers people or people find that like the most highest aligned thing for themselves. Yeah. And it's like, what comes up is that there's people arguing about the objectivity of a subjective reality. There's just, there's no, there's no objectivity in the fact that everyone's reality is based upon perspectives and beliefs. Wait, let's, let's, read, let's go back on people arguing about the objectivity of the subjectivity of reality. So ar yeah. arguing the objectivity of a, uh, inherently subjective reality that everyone has their own, own truth, which is why it's so interesting that everyone has their own soul blueprint. And I think, you know, also just on the social media aspect of that, 
I know that when we were on social media, I think one of the, the more depressing aspects of that is when people start comparing to other people like, oh, I should be doing this in a negative way, not in an inspirational way of like, oh, I'm not good enough or this person's doing this. Or, I can't believe this person's doing that. This is wrong. And it's like, hey, everyone has their own unique divine soul blueprint and what's right for one person is completely not right for the other person. But does that make it right or wrong? No, it's just it's just subjectively different. So when people are trying to put those views on people and just bringing that back to the plant medicine, it's like whatever your direct experience is, sure, it's going to connect with loads of people and be inspirational in many different ways. I'm sure people listening will you know, be able to uh, and extract whatever that truth is for them. But the idea that we as a society keep trying to impose different beliefs on each other when it's just kind of like trying to put like, you know, one of those kids games where you're trying to put like a, a triangle through a square hole. It's like everyone has their own like lock and key for whatever that awakening process is. So I think just everyone can be more mindful of just like let people express their opinions. You don't have to then be a right or wrong because there is no right or wrong. It's all subjective. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, and it's um, I kind of just blanked out there. Something I did want to touch on though that I'm thinking about now is, uh, it's reminding me this conversation, and then even last night was is of the Celestine prophecy. Have you either of you read that book? Yeah, and there's a part in it, kind of towards the end, where they talk about like conscious conversations, where you know once people attain like a certain level of awareness, you can feel when the energy goes to one person, like who's holding the energy of the conversation. And it's so funny because I know that I noticed that yesterday, whenever I think, you know, Michael, you asked Jamie if she wanted to start singing and Jamie was like, well, when you asked that, I felt the energy go to you. So like you do it or even, even a little bit earlier in this recording, whenever it was like, you kind of like started to talk and you're like, I went blank, Jamie, that must be for you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And so it's very fascinating. And because I, even since reading that book, even in larger groups where there isn't, like in larger groups, whenever there isn't, um, not everybody is at that state of awareness, people will be talking and then I'll shift my attention to somebody who hasn't talked in a while, but then they don't say anything. And I'm like kind of sitting there and there's this like awkward kind of freeze in the conversation. And then whoever like the comedy is or the tension breaker of the group is will like jump in and say something. And so then that's whenever my attention would get shifted. And I'm like realizing like, this person was supposed to talk like this person had the highest thing to share, but whether it's because of social conditioning, whether it's because of, um, anxiety or social, you know, fear of being judged or whatever they had to say, they chose to not share it. And so I've always, I've started seeing that in group settings a little bit more. And I've always found that super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, it's funny when you're saying that I always, Michael and I, when we, when we're just having our own conversations or like when we're doing podcasts or when we're um, in a retreat setting and we're leading a workshop, we, we know, and the way we both work individually. And then when we come together, we know we're entrained is what we call it, or I call it that we're in, in, we're in entrainment. And so like when we step into something, we both kind of can feel, Oh, Jamie's going to start this or Michael's going to start this. And then say Michael starts and he's talking. I'm not even listening to him. I'm just feeling into what's coming. What's, what's the thing that wants to share through me. And then I'll feel like, okay, it's now. And then Michael will be like, what do you think? And so it's like, we're, 
very aware of the energy just goes back and forth between us. And we don't, we're not steering it or guiding it. We're just like tuned into it, but it happens and can happen with groups. And, and I kind of call that the group consciousness and what it feels like to me too, something that we have glimpses into. And we kind of make jokes about sometimes we're like, we're part of a group consciousness. We're the same soul. We just split off into two people and we're probably split off into like 10 other people or 20, I don't know, or however many. But I think that, I think that shift from whatever anyone wants to call it, I'm not attached to these words or phrases, but from third density to fourth density, that shift into a lessening of the veil, a lessening of the illusion, a recognition that we're not separate, that recognition that we all are interconnected, that, that, that shared love that we all have, that actual, not a forced compassion, but a sincere, authentic compassion that we have that would be inherent with any being that recognizes itself as another being. Then that right now what's considered telepathy when we're in that place, it's just seen as interconnectedness. Of course, I know how you're feeling. Of course, I can see or feel your thoughts. Of course, you can sense what I need. Of course, we can all feel that. And of course, we're tuned into it. Now, right now, at this moment in consciousness, depending on how much attention we're giving that or not, we might be blocked from it or just sort of going through our daily lives or have blinders on. It's fine. It's part of this experience. But at the deeper level, the truth is we are all interconnected like that. And so that energy that you feel in a bigger group where you're, if, if you kind of turn your, I always say, turn off the ears. If you turn your ears off and just kind of plug in energetically, where's the energy wanting to go? Who's, who's got something to say here? Like you did is like, oh my gosh, this person over here, not saying anything actually had the thing to say. Um, but when we can, when we can start to recognize, and this is again, hard for the ego and it's my, my ego's going, don't do it. Stay over here and be individuated and, and be um, self-sufficient. But when we can start recognizing there literally is a group intelligence, 100%. that's the highest benefit of every single one of us as individuations. And that this is what the brilliant loving intelligence of God is, is that it can do multiple things at once that benefit everybody at the same time. And as humans in this veil of an illusion and separation, where it's like the ego's like, I call bull crap. You know, it's like, mm-mm, not everybody can benefit. Somebody's going to have to lose out. But no, that group consciousness energy is serving everyone equally at the same time. So if we can allow ourselves to open up and concede to it, even just sometimes it doesn't have to be all the times that egos get scared about that stuff. But if you can practice it with a friend, if you can practice it with a husband, if you can practice it with your dog, if you can practice it, you know, feeling that, Oh, there's, there's a greater energy here that includes everybody that's working for all of us. What is, what is it moving towards right now? You know, it's there, it's present. And that's reminding me of at my yoga retreat last week, we uh, like kind of, I think it was on the second night, you know, there's probably like 14, 13, 14 people. And on the second night we did like, you know, this round table with a bowl that just had questions in it, questions about like, how many times you need to be hugged today to like, what are your passions? Like, do you know what you want in life? You know, all these like very interesting things. 
And as the bowl was kind of going around, the questions were like very interesting because like I would hear them and I'd be like, I have no idea how I'd answer that. But then the person who would answer it would pull like pull out this like amazing like information of reality and this like very unique viewpoint on something that like I would have never seen before. And where it got interesting was is going back to paying attention to the energy of like a group setting, is I could tell that like so the purpose of it was to get to know each other like let me know more about you so you answer a question but what i realized was is as we were kind of going around is like if someone was answering a question it was resonating with one person within that group so much more like it was almost like their answer was actually for another person as opposed to getting to know the person sharing and it wasn't a realization i had until the very last night because the very last night we kind of did like a closing yoga session And after that yoga session, we kind of all sat in a circle and everyone went around and kind of shared like what they're grateful for, what their favorite moment was and something else. And interesting enough, I was like second to last. And so as everybody was kind of going around and saying stuff, it was like, it was like screaming at me. It was like, everyone was supposed to be here. Like everyone knew what they were doing. Like, remember the bowl session, like, you know, bring that up, like, make sure everyone knows that they were supposed to be here and that this was for everybody's like highest self. And so when it came to me, I basically echoed that. And it was, it was, it was just, I could tell everybody was like paying attention to what I had to say and it was resonating with everyone. And so I, it was a very fascinating experience. And so it goes back to that collective consciousness is that I think people who tend to do yoga probably tend to be a little bit higher on that consciousness scale and something I wanted to add is that I believe it goes even higher uh, out of the group where it's the entire human consciousness at a certain level because there's a very, um, this has been really well documented where inventions have been created at the same time in different regions of the world. So like they went back with, through like the Mayans, Egyptians, like societies that had no connection with each other but they all like invented the wheel at the same time or they all invented like a hammer at the same time or like, you know, within like a 10, 15 year period or something. And so it's really fascinating. And this is something that comes through with dreams where like people get ideas through dreams. And so it's, it's almost like once the barrier of consciousness of the world is ready for it, it gets exposed to it. And this is something I'm starting to recognize with like multiverse movies. Like we went and saw everything everywhere all at once. Have you guys seen that movie? No, but it's here in English and we've not been to the cinema for five years. And I told Jamie, is it 10 o'clock in Cusco? And we don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. You got to do it. We, we keep hearing about it. Uh, you got to watch that. Okay. But so the point is, it's like another multiverse movie. Marvel has their whole thing with the multiverse now. There's plenty of other like timeline jumping things and after we saw that movie, I talked to my dad, he was in like his mid sixties and you know, I'm my late twenties and I'm like, you know, this is really crazy. Like how many multiverse movies are coming out? I was like, dad, when you were a kid, like, was this a thing? Like, he's like, no, like multiverse movies were not a thing until like the last like 20 years or something like that. Or like maybe it started 20 years ago, but it's like really taken off in the last five to 10 years. And this goes back to the whole human collective consciousness. It's like, okay, now the human collective consciousness is ready to kind of start unveiling this truth of the multiverse and figure out what it means for, you know, and like we've said, our each individual self. And so it's really fascinating how it's not even inventions. It's merely ideas or just 
the way that the universe is kind of unfolding is starting to even just penetrate our human collective consciousness. Yeah, I really love that. I really love that. I love how it's like all learning. I loved what you're saying about the different inventions happening at the same time. I'd also say with the multiverse movies, I would say that's because the, the ET disclosures on its way, the, mm. the technologies that the, what is happening in terms of different experience, multi-dimensional experiences, which are happening, secret space programs, and that type of stuff. Right. As that's going to start coming out now, the world's being prepped for, okay, this is like, you know, when you see it in Star Trek and you see it this, you see it over and over again, when eventually everyone recognizes that we're all telepathic, infinite beings and all this other stuff that's coming up, it's like easier to digest that so that's why you always kind of see that. It's like you can sometimes see what's going to happen by the way that like Hollywood or different movies start like drip feeding this into the collective consciousness. So it's not just such a big shock when someone's like, okay, wow, we're not alone in the universe. That's like a way it happens in our experience. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 Sorry, just like shifted no, direction no. again. <laughs> no, no, I love that conversation. It's a poor one. Well, and Clayton, you just reminded me too when you were talking about that. I was like, okay. And Michael, I didn't tell you this, something that I experienced in ceremony last night. Um, there was a, you know, just reminding me, I'm like, oh, I had a group, a collective consciousness experience last night that up here somewhere above my head, it was like space opened up where there was a collective consciousness of connection with other souls. And it was people that we work with. It was retreat participants. It was, it was people that we work with and collaborate with. And it was, everyone was sort of like, I, I feel it right here in my eyes and my, my brain, my frontal lobe. It was like, everyone was connected here. And we already were all connected and it was just showing me the experience was like, we're already all connected in the subconscious or in the multidimensional, even though Clayton, this is the first time I'm meeting you in the physical this week and, oh, you're new to me. Last night, it was like, no, none of us are new to each other, but that's sweet that we think so. (laughs) Um, It's a part of the experience. Yeah. Hypnosis, amnesia. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like a um an interesting thing of like, oh, we're already there connected. We're just gonna be appearing in physical reality to each other on and off throughout our lives. But the work's already there, the connections are all already there. So it was just this nice, like, I always have a relief when something like, I'm like, Oh God, there's more going on than I can imagine. Thank God. You yeah. know? Yeah. We, we have it quite a lot of times where we have like different clients or like, you know, connected with people like yourself on, on a podcast and we just like hit it off and just kind of like connect. And, um, we have clients and they'll just say, Oh, we heard you on a podcast. And I just knew, I just knew we had to connect. And we, when we have clients that we connect with and then we connect and it's just like the, whatever the agreement that we've kind of pre-made to be able to assist it just kind of like activates and it all kind of makes sense we have that quite a lot and it's just like we feel like we just kind of put stuff out and then our people like we find our people and our people find us and it just kind of is just like magic of the universe in that way mm. yeah and i think it's a testament to stepping into your authentic self right like if you're staying in whatever the status quo is whatever society's telling you is right you're you're covering up you know, that your soul's blueprint, that diamond that is you. And therefore you can't actually attract the right people who 
are meant for you, who are supposed to be in your life. And it's really fascinating because it's reminding me of, I guess, my last three relationships because each one of them was so aligned. Like they were all just like, it just flow state just instantly, just instant flow state. Like I know you like, and like the, I remember the first, the first of those three, it was like, we were together for like a month and a half. And like, it felt like almost six months to a year. Like we both like didn't understand, like it, it made no sense whatsoever. Of course, all three of those fizzled out. But the point was, is that I had, I learned like immense stuff about my connection with myself, my connection with another, you know, significant other in the relationship. And they were all extremely important. You know, the first one um, is really what kind of started this whole upward spiral of my spiritual endeavor. The second one, like reminded me that I really want to find like just one person. And the third one was like all about truth. And we kind of talked about that. And so it's really fascinating, even just now looking back on it, it's like, you know, here's three examples of girls that it just was like, just alignment, instantaneous alignment. Like we're supposed to know each other. We're supposed to be in each other's lives. And each one of them kind of sucked when it got to that point of needing to end it. But then this comes back to attachment. It's like, well, you got to not be attached to it because like you figure out the lesson that you're supposed to learn here. Okay, cool. You learned it now release and, you know, make space for the next aligned person who's supposed to kind of come into your life in order to unlock that next layer of the onion, that next element of evolution. That's beautiful. Yes, like it's just, just, it's funny too, because, you know, there's this whole idea about soulmates and um, in my experience, the more time goes by and the, the sort of deeper I go into that multidimensional self, like everyone's a soulmate (laughs) pretty much just some I'm not recognizing others. I'm recognizing more so, but if we get down to it, but then also this idea that, Oh, if, if you meet your soulmate, you're supposed to be with them for your whole life. It's like, maybe, maybe that's, maybe you've got 30 soulmates and they're each meant to share different things with you and teach you different things and bring you certain things. And you're going to bring them those things. And so it's like, um, yeah, it's just that it's, I, I I feel like that's lovely. And what you said of just recognizing the legitimacy and the, the value of each one of those relationships, even, even if they didn't last, even if they were only for a certain amount of time, it's like, yeah, but still, I know that person. I know that soul. Right. I felt it. I know it, you know, that's a, that's a huge deal. And I think, I think anyone that has the opportunity to feel that or sense that or be aware of it in connections with others, whether it's one time or 30 times, like it's just, that's, that's also nice and helping to open the heart and realize that the love goes on, it goes on, it goes on. It it goes beyond this here and now it goes beyond this relationship. Oh, I, you know, I know this person, I recognize them. We spend our time together and, and however it concludes or doesn't conclude, but just that's a, that's brilliant. I mean, to know that and then still be like, okay, there's, there's still more coming. There's still other people to meet. There's still other relationships to have. Like that's beautiful. Yeah. And it's what's resonating like that. It's like that attachment. It's like, I think that with me, a reason that I cling to, I mean, each one of those will probably a little, a little too long. Who knows? Maybe it's on purpose. So I can talk about this right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, 
is you know that that <laughs> uh i kind of forgot where i was going clinging to them releasing attachment uh oh is that realization of like the scarcity it's like you never think that you're going to feel that alignment with another person and i, I guess i probably didn't really fully embody that until like even this conversation of really realizing that each one of those three, I felt instantaneously like aligned with like each one of them. It just, it was this instant, like that knowing that resonating feeling that just is like an electric shock that just goes straight through your body. Like it was something that I felt with every, each three of them, but yet because of our ego, because of our third density mind, we think that it's only going to be this person. Like we're never going to experience that again. And then fear creeps in, scarcity creeps in. But yet, if you take a step back, it's like, no, you have more than one soulmate. It's like you have 30, 40, it, you know, who knows? I mean, you could argue that we're soulmates at some level. Like we were destined for our past to cross. And so if you're able to take that step back of just like, oh, like I'm going to find more aligned people. It's like, look, I... I've only been on this spiritual alignment path, let's say for maybe two years. And yet I've already had three super aligned girls come into my life. And it's like, that's a blessing. Like that's a miracle in a sense of just how incredible that is and to even help shatter the scarcity mindset and realize that there is abundance, like that this, the premise of everything is infinite. So how is there not abundance? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful. It reminds me of a, a point, I think, to kind of talk a bit more about the ayahuasca integration, it just feels like it intertwines back in of what happens when people come to an ayahuasca retreat and the veil of illusion is dissolved through the ayahuasca retreat. So we see each other beyond the trauma. We see ourselves as, as our unconditionally loving nature. So naturally, when people are in an ayahuasca retreat, often people can form bonds which are very difficult to get that level of intensity of a bond or connection with someone because we're not meeting each other through masks. We're meeting each other from our souls, from our true selves. So what's interesting based upon also the societal kind of norms and, and how we're kind of institutionalized, I would say, is that when we meet someone and we see them as their true self, mm. there can often be distortions for different romantic relationships or someone sees someone as a soul, like we're saying, oh, you're, like, we're soulmates. And as we were just kind of saying, it's like, could be a soulmate that we're supposed to be here as you know, platonic or friendships or helping each other or doing whatever it may be. But sometimes people can come to a retreat and then they can kind of get lost in like a whirlwind romance, which is not negative in any sense, shape or form, because there's there's benefits in all of that. But the recognition is that when we see people, and if we've not taken a plant medicine, especially ayahuasca, when we're living through the lens of trauma, when we're living through the lens of the personality, and we're not open to that, we can experience level of love that is not necessarily available to us in day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. What really I've come to understand is that that love that we feel and is experienced is a reflection back to ourselves as the unconditionally loving nature of what we truly are and the interconnectedness of humanity. Now, whether you want to take conscious action to actually be with someone, like, and I'm like, Jamie and I <laughs> met at ayahuasca ceremony. So, like, <laughs> was definitely true. <laughs> so just like scratch that last bit. <laughs> but you know we we fell in love we fell in love straight away and we we just we just went on a whole whirlwind ride but you know ever since that point we've been choosing each other every day 
And that's when, that's when it's like, you have to choose each other every day. You can have that experience. You can have that experience of seeing each other as the immaculate being of just like spirit and just intertwined and just like infinite oneness. And then you can see like, oh yeah, you were also abandoned and I was also abandoned and we're going to play that trauma out on each other for a few years and we're going to argue <laughs> about that. But I'm still going to choose you. I'm still going to choose you. So that's what the, the integration period when we can see that glimpse of like the true essence of who we are, the integration point is then integrating the humanness of that experience of how do we take what we've learned and how do we then embody that frequency and vibration that we want through conscious action and choice. Yeah. Yeah. And what that's reminding me of is, I think it was a quote I saw one time, but I haven't thought about it in a while. This conversation's reminding me of it. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think about it is like, and Jamie, when you said about how, uh, like there was a time when Michael was like, oh, well that was last, you know, it's Tuesday. That was on Saturday. <laughs> um, the quote was something along the lines of like, the best relationships are realizing that you're going to witness the other person die 10,000 times your eyes just lit up. <laughs> yeah. And then you're there for, you know, you still choose. I, I don't remember the whole quote, but that was the premise of it and that you're still coming back to them and you're okay with those, those thousands of deaths. I mean, Clayton, that's, I mean, I feel like that's what we experience. Um, <clears throat> so for, so for me, that quote uh, nails it. And, um, and for me, like Michael said, you know, we're, we're choosing it every day. We're, we're aware that we're aware of this beautiful connection we have <clears throat> and this beautiful connection we have. That's just there. It's just there and present. We're also aware of how scared we can get and how def defensive we can get and, and how, no, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about yourself. That's okay. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, that's part of, also he's hilarious. So like, even when things are bad, like he somehow manages to make me laugh, but anyways, um, but yeah, so like we're, we're very human, you know, so we can, we can take that beautiful connection with, that we know exists and is like untouched and, and we can tarnish it and sort of scuff it and stuff, but it always stays there. And then like Michael said, uh, you know, we're constantly choosing it over and over again. And there's been some times we've gotten to, we've gotten to different thresholds in our relationship where something's going on between us. There's a discord, <clears throat> excuse me, that's always bringing into broad daylight something in one or both of us that no longer can exist. Mm. And we find ourselves either wanting to hold on to it this is trying to go away and I'm going to keep holding on to it. And then let's keep having discord or because my ego wants to be right and hold on to it really strong. Or we look at it and we go, we love each other. This is ridiculous. We don't, this thing that keeps coming up, like it, it's exhausting. It's not nice. It's not the truth of who we are. Can we do something differently now? And it's funny because I feel it. My ego's like, wait a second, I've been doing this a really long time and I'm good at it. And right. now I'm, I'm setting it down. But then we set it down and we scoot it off the table and we make room for something else to some other way of being or interacting to take its place. And it does. And then we're like, Yahtzee, I'm glad we keep choosing each other. Like, it's just like exponentially beneficial for us to go through these processes. And we can also see where, 
and you know, it's also reasonable. We can also see where there's moments where you could easily be like, the ego could be like, this is too much. I'm, I'm done. Or this is across. I, I won't tolerate this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. And it's like, there's more to this story. But when we we're, we've gotten so used to that, uh, to saying, what's the more of this story, you know, and asking that question and diving into it. And then it brings the gifts afterwards to just be like, I'm going to dig a little deeper. I'm going to let something go. I'm not going to show up in the same way I've always shown up, even though I've done it for 40 something years. I'm going to consider there's another alternative. Okay, let's do that. You know, so, so yeah, we do that. And it's funny too, because sometimes um, I have a tendency to be like, I have a tendency to be like in my, in my down spiral moments to be like, this isn't working out. It's never going to happen. Da, 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 da. Well, the world's against me. It's not going to, there's no place for my stuff. And uh, there was one time recently I was telling Michael, I was like, do you have a second? And I went through my down spiral thoughts. I, th- th- it feels like this isn't going to happen. Da, da, da. Michael's like, mm, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, here's the thing. We don't have time for that anymore. Love. <laughs> I'm thinking he's going to be like, what, well, how can I help? Da, da, da. He's like, mm, yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. We don't have time for that anymore. Love. That's like old ways of thinking and we've got to have our hearts open right now. So just go ahead and make that shift. And I was like, that's not very, that's perfect. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I'm snapping out of it. Like <laughs> something in what he said, I was just like, it's true. It's true. We can't keep like wasting our time on these conversations and thoughts. And anyway, that's sort of Michael way, Michael's way of showing up and going, okay, I'm not going to have a deep conversation with you about this anymore. I'm just going to tell you what I see and see if we can move on. Well, kind of, and even in that story parallels back to the masculine and feminine, where you're kind of in your feminine of, oh, I don't know. What is this? What is that? What are we doing? And then the masculine comes in and it's just like, no, like, that's not it. Move past it. Like, just do it, you know? Yeah, and the amount of times Jamie does that for me when I'm just kind of like, Jamie, I don't know what microphone to decide to buy. Do you think it's this one or that one? I can't work out. There's two of them so good. Just pick one. Move on. Yeah. I have time for this. Okay. <laughs> They're all so cool. Well, that was something I even experienced in Costa Rica where they have these like these masks that are made out of balsa wood where they've like painted and they're just wild. Like there's animals and like very abstract figures to them. And they're just all just absolutely gorgeous, like very bright colors. And the shop we walked into probably had 15. And there was like four of them that I was like, I want all four. But I didn't, I knew I only had space, you know, for one, like, you know, I can have all four. It's going to take, take the energy. Like I was like in such this, like, I don't know, but this one has this, that one has that, that has this. And the buddy I was with was like, just make a decision. And then that like, in me like okay there is no wrong decision like there is no right or wrong decision the only wrong decision is not making a decision i knew i wanted one so just pick one and i was like all right i'm going with this one and it's funny because then as i was showing it to people because people were interested in it throughout the day throughout the yoga retreat and as i showed people there's a couple people were like oh my gosh like that's you like like that balsa mask incarnate is you like in this thing and i was like cool <laughs> i was just like perfect <laughs> So it's like very fascinating. That's that balance of like that feminine versus masculine of like, do I do this one or that one? It's like, just make a decision. It's like, you're going to be right, whichever one you pick. And so it's like, 
it's really interesting to delineate. And it's like, all right, you have to choose one. Which one is it? Go. And it's, and it's funny because that's that masculine saying, just do. But then after it's saying like that, just do, it's like feeling into that emotion, that, that feminine of like, well, which one resonates the highest? And it's like, okay, this one. It's like, all right, go with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who has the energy? <laughs> we, we both do, but apparently me just a smidge more. Okay. Uh, no, I was thinking too, when, when you're saying that and, and sort of back to that, that dying a thousand times or whatever, you know, I, something else that I'm aware of that we're aware of in our relationship. And I, I think this is just the fact that we're aware of it in our relationship just reflects that this is happening collectively as well, that, you know, one of the things that I love is when Michael makes a shift or internal transformation or he comes to me and says, okay, this thing happened. I've got this awareness now. The the way I've been doing this like this, that's not going to serve me anymore. So from now on, I'm going to start doing it like this. And I'm like, awesome. I go with him. I, I just naturally get lifted with him and vice versa. It's like any, any sort of new awareness, understanding, um, recognition, healing, transformation, change that happens in one of us. It's like the other one gets to ride on the coattails of it. Mm. So like when he comes to me and is like, okay, this has changed. This is the way I'm going to do things now. I'm not going to do this other way. Immediately I know, okay, I guess me too. And it's not a, it's not like, uh, I have to decide if I'm going to do this or not. Something in me just feels we wouldn't be together and we wouldn't be changed. Like, yeah, I'm going with you. I'm there too. And so there's this natural kind of pull that happens. Well, go. No, I was just going to say, it's like, you know, if you've ever been in those situations in your life where you kind of like, maybe you're at college or you're at a different place. And then all of a sudden you just like, with, without anything like really being aware or know that it was coming, it's just a recognition oh, that time in my life is over. I didn't even like get to say goodbye to it. And it's just like, oh, I can't eat that food anymore. Or like, I'm not drinking anymore. And it's just like, oh, it just happened. And I think that's what, that's situations that happen when one of us go through one of those experiences. It's like, oh, it's not like that anymore. And I think there's sometimes this tendency, like the trauma or the part of you that's like hiding behind those masks, like, oh, I don't get to make those excuses anymore. So it's like scary, but it's also interesting. And it's like when you're getting up and you just decide to make a habit or change and you just wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm decided I'm going to go to the gym and I'm just going to start going to the gym rather than it's like, I'm going to plan going to the gym or I'm going to plan to stop smoking for a month. Like often the biggest changes happen. Like the change is just like coming back to those situations that we talked about before about being an automatic change, something shifted and then you just can integrate that straight away. And I think that's what also comes back to the, the ayahuasca ceremonies and any spiritual work really when something resonates with you to then go and take that conscious action and change because here's how it works in my experience and i think that this is maybe where some people maybe get a little stuck or don't fully understand this so and again this is just my own experience when you feel like making a change in your life you've already shifted to the parallel reality and timeline and Mm. body and experience where you've already made that shift and change so then when you're like, oh, I'm going to start next week, you then consciously, shit or unconsciously, but on some levels an awareness, especially if you're listening to this now, that you're shifting back to the old you, you've consciously then taken a shift back. 
So when you feel like a shift in the change in, in your life, it's like act on that then because that's how you anchor that vibration because you're already there. It's not something that's in the future. It's like already here and now. So it's like, how do I maintain that vibration rather than shift? The shift's already occurred. I think that makes sense. And if maybe the one thing that it's coming to me and maybe you can elaborate using this example, because with me, that would be like porn where it's like, you know, having this conscious awareness that I want to stop, I'm going to stop. But then once the urge is that energy starts flowing back in, that's when the challenge comes up. So how would you extrapolate that analysis onto that situation? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I would just bring it back to, do you, do you feel like you've already shifted? I guess I don't know. So I think that that would be the situation because I know that like last night in ceremony that there was a lot of work around the intention of healing, healing those types of things. So we're like in a situation where as you come out of this experience, depending upon the level of that, what we would say at the underneath any level of addiction or behavior or, 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 or way of being that we no longer prefer. Again, there's no judgment about it. It's just the, the personal recognition of, I want to change my circumstance the way I behave. So then if there's something that we're not able to necessarily do, even though there's a conscious choice of, you know, whether it being drinking alcohol or eating chocolate or whatever it may be, often there's a level of trauma that is there that's playing into the fact that we need that certain activity to gain something, which on many cases in my experience, from my own experience of healing addiction, comes back to unconditional love and connected to the oneness where we feel whole and complete without necessarily needing an outside source to provide that. So the question really is, is not necessarily is the symptom, has the symptom necessarily gone? It's like, is whatever that I was healing that's underneath the symptom, where am I at with that? And that can then also be a really kind of good segue into tomorrow's ceremony of like what remains from the kind of trauma or the hole or the vacancy within my being that's causing me to still gravitate towards that. And then at that point, you know, depending on where you're at with that, you know, and we're doing two ceremonies together, you may find yourself in an experience where you actually go through that kind of automatic experience, or I would say more of an automatic experience where you kind of feel great, I'm free. Or it might actually be that you have enough space from that so that then you're able to integrate that through conscious choice and other spiritual practices and healing work that enables you to have that catalyst. Because that's often what plant medicines are. They're a catalyst to shift that vibration as we kind of shift over to enough of that timeline. If you can kind of imagine yourself as a hologram uh, inhabiting two different timelines, one with looking at porn and one with not, like how much are you then moving into that next reality? And how do I anchor that hologram into that new vibration, into that new experience? So you don't have to have everything all figured out. As we are saying, the seeds are being planted. Then it gives you enough tools, enough of the fertilizer, enough of the, the work, enough of the plowing of that field means that that life change can, can kind of move forth and, and happen in that way simultaneously, the last thing I just want to add to that quickly is, in my experience, if we truly relapse on something that we want to let go of, it's just a highlight that we've not really done the healing work. Mm. Often people can have shame and guilt or I'm not good enough or I didn't do that. And again, there's, there's, there's a certain level of awareness that if you just decide not to put any effort into that, then you might not anchor that vibration. So you have to put the effort to anchor that vibration. But ultimately, if we do fall back, the invitation is to look at 
what remains for me to release, to shift, to let go of, to make space for, that will enable me to effortlessly anchor that vibration, which is then a symptom. So the change in addiction, the change of the symptoms in our physical reality is actually just a a reflection of the inner work that we've done. We often think that we need to change the symptom, but really that's just a reflection of the inner work that's being done. It's like changing the gene of the seed so that the seed grows differently. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like probably from a year ago, I've, let's say healed maybe 90% of it, 95, probably probably over 95% of it. Like my reduction has been insane from so many different things. And so it's always interesting to still feel those urges come up and it's like, uh, it's like, where's the last 5%, you know, it's like, where's that last piece of the puzzle? Um, but something's telling me we should wrap it up because we're at an hour and a half, so I don't know what you guys, if you guys want to finish on something or... I told you it flies by. You don't know how long when you're talking to Clayton. It's <laughs> <laughs> just things into a vortex. It's like, sit down, have a cup of tea with me. Here goes your whole day. <laughs> Time just disappears. <laughs> yeah, I, I got one thing I would like to say on that. Sure. And this is just kind of like a, like, switch it around. The other point in the part of that healing process is, I'm not, I'm not saying this is right or wrong or your path, but there can be the absolute radical acceptance of where we are, that we don't actually need to shift and change anything. We can just be actually okay where we are. Mm. That like perhaps 90% is fine for you. Mm. It doesn't mean it is or it isn't, but it's like, what's the motivation? Is it kind of like a notch in a scorecard to say I've done this? Or the question is, is this still negatively impacting me? Do I still want to shift and change? Now, I don't have the answer for that, but it's just, I think it's an important point to say that we don't have to do all or nothing on everything. Where we can accept ourselves exactly as we are, there's a great healing part, a great amount of healing that can be had in that. I think that would be my last point. Can I, can I add to that? Cause yeah, it's, that's a good <laughs> point. Yeah. Um, what's coming up for me when you're talking about, uh, your addiction to porn and working through that and where you are, I'm sitting here thinking for me of coffee and, um, so, so I'm a person who loves coffee, but because of my sensitivity to energies and things I ingest, I can't drink much of it before it goes bad for me. So for me, what happens if I drink too much of it, which, which can be more than one cup, um, it, it makes my thinking, um, fearful, and I'll start having fearful thoughts of, oh my God, what's going to, and, and it can also lead me to have panic attacks. And, but there's a period of the coffee drinking that I'm fine and I'm in bliss. You know, I'm never drinking coffee to like have energy or concentration. I love the flavor of it. I love the taste of it. And see, listen to me. Like I know a lot about my relationship to coffee. I'm like, and and for me, it brings me comfort and, and it's also like nurturing and it's sort of like a soft blanket up to a point. And then it turns into fearful thoughts and, and I'm in a down spiral and I have to wait till the coffee leaves my system and I'm at its mercy. Well, so... I'm aware of this. I'm aware of the whole cycle and the process and every instance that I go through and the threshold when it shifts. And I'll still find myself drinking more coffee than I'm, I should for my mental health. And then I'll find myself having fearful thoughts. And then I'll go to Michael and I'll be like, I'm having a tough mental 
I'm having a tough mental um, issue right now and I can't, I'm, I'm really scared right now. I'm stressed. And he's like, did you drink coffee? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but then I'm, when I do that, then I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is it in me that apparently still needs the fearful thoughts? Mm. Something in me knows every time if I go past that threshold, I'm going to go into the fearful thoughts. What is it in me that still needs the fearful thoughts? And it's like, I can feel it. I've had these fearful thoughts since I was consciously that I can remember since five because of experiences I've had. If I don't have them, what do I have? I don't know who I am without these fearful thoughts. I don't know who I am without this worry, this concern, this hypervigilance, this sort of like panic, what's going to happen. So even as I'm talking right now, I'm sort of talking to my little self. And I'm like, God, oh, man, I'm so sorry. This is so comfortable, the fearful thoughts, because I can also feel the, the freedom of not wanting or needing those for safety or security because I'm so used to them, if that makes any sense. But like Michael said, radical acceptance of where you are right now. Like literally I was thinking that while you're talking, I was like, where am I at in that process with coffee? And I'm like, I'm just like staying present with it and loving myself through it in whatever I'm doing right now. Because at this moment in time, that portion of the coffee drinking that's, <clears throat> that's nice and good and feels like, oh, that's sweet. I still love that, but I haven't grasped how to like not let it go further, how to, <clears throat> excuse me, how to, how to soften it. Or even if I need to, or even if I need to stop drinking coffee entirely, I'm not there yet. So at the moment I'm working with where I am and sort of like <laughs> seeing it as it's okay, here we are. I'm back to wanting fearful thoughts. I'm in them. I don't like them. I'm scared now. How do I get out of it? There's the cycle. Okay. All right. Here we are again love you. <laughs> yeah. If that makes any sense. But I I think that kind of a, applied to what Michael just said about the just radically accepting where you are right now and like okay, I'm further than I was with it. And I think I probably and that could certainly be an element. I feel like with a lot of these things there's probably a lot of different roots that kind of stem off of it and you know exactly what you're saying. It's like, you know, you know, try using the logical mind to try to validate, like, why am I here? Why is it still happening? Versus like, this is just a part of the process. Like you just, mm. you need to accept that you are here. You need to love yourself with this. Like, you know, there is an element of culture where it's like, okay, porn's bad. I know porn's bad, da, 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 da. but it's like, you know, it's okay to do things that are quote unquote bad from society. You know what I mean? Like that kind of teaches you as like, well, it's okay. Like if you still have that coffee, like, and I guess I'm, maybe the coffee is a little bit different, it feels like. But like with me, it's like, you know, if porn is so negative biologically and all this stuff, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, that's okay. Like, it's just a human experience. Like, just, you know, love yourself even with all these flaws. And it's also reminding me kind of a body image where it's like so many people don't even look at themselves naked in the mirror because they're ashamed of what they look like. And I think as we've all discovered, we chose these exact bodies. So it's so fascinating that like over 90, I saw a study where it's like over 90% of people have body image issues. And to me, it's just, it's so ironic that it's like, well, you chose that body and yet we're all just have these issues. And it probably comes back to that thing of like, you know, if you're this infinite, beautiful soul and you come into an imperfect, you know, body, it's like, yeah, of course you're going to see all the quote unquote flaws, 
But the goal is to love yourself with those flaws. The goal is to probably, this might be that last 5%, is to love myself with that flaw, flaw, quote unquote, in air quotes, um, that flaw of that still that remaining 5% of me wanting to grab my phone and jump on a porn website. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's like, for me, and as someone who's who struggled with addiction for a long period of time, that's actually why I came to Ayahuasca. And Jamie will be a testament to how much I love smoking cigarettes. It's just like, that was just like, I just, nah, I just have one. And like, I've come to the point now in my life where I just can't smoke cigarettes. I, I don't, can't and don't want to smoke cigarettes. I can't smoke, uh, drink alcohol. I just have to like not do that. But so I had like the period of time where when I first drank ayahuasca, like, like five, six years ago, I had this like really big transformation where I stopped drinking, smoking, done like hard drugs. I've not done hard drugs since. But then there's been like little bits of situations where it was still kind of the like the, the anchor of it was still there within me. So it was still that kind of like I would just kind of say it like a like an energy or like for lack of a better word, like a demon behind me that was like still kind of like tapping on my shoulder of like, do you want this? Yeah. And and then I was just kind of okay with where I was. And it wasn't really like, you know, the amount that I was drinking and the amount that I was smoking wasn't like super, super detrimental, but it wasn't definitely wasn't the best for me. And I know for myself with my own like porn addiction growing up from probably like 10 years old, I'm still, you know, I've not watched porn for a really long time and I'm still healing the way that my brain formed from that, the way that I view women, the the way that like the patriarchy and all this other stuff. And it's, it's taken me being away from it for a long period of time for me to be able to actually now actually start feeling the effects of that. So that's been really, really powerful in my own transformation. But what I, my point was with regards like of the more recent addictions of like um, moving through the alcohol and, and the cigarettes and, and those types of things, there's just a point where it was just like, okay, it's just not there anymore. So there's this kind of just this feeling of, oh, I wish I hope it'll kind of, and there's just like, no, there's just actually been a shift. It's like the lesson's been learned. So on some level, as we kind of come back to, we can't necessarily bypass the reason that those things are still showing up for us, that there may be more to investigate. And then coming back to what we've been talking about kind of all weekend of that trust of the universe, trust exactly where we are, trust that we're supported. And that as the time arises, we'll be able to make those more conscious choices and just create and choose more free lives. Yeah, it's reminding me of, I guess we're going to keep dragging this on. Um, I mean, it's reminding me of like the relationships that I talked about is like where you don't really know the significance of it in the moment, you know, like that very first girl, which is kind of interesting because she actually texted me last night and she was like, oh, I see you're doing ayahuasca. Like, you're gonna have to tell me about it. I'm like, we haven't talked in months. Regardless, um, (laughs) (laughs) regardless, it's like, it's, it's so fascinating because you can't see the value of feeling that energetic alignment with someone who you've only known logically or in this time dimension space time space dimension for a month and a half and yet it feels like like a year you know you you can't understand why that would all have to shatter in order for you to kind of go through this evolution until now probably two and about two two and a half years later where it's like oh shit like this girl i aligned with this girl i aligned with this girl i aligned with this girl it's like there is abundance i am an infinite being this is all just like of journey. I'm going to find another partner. Scarcity isn't like a thing. It's like, oh, you're already projecting all these things onto women. Like whether it's, you know, um, 
I don't know whether it's like different things that you're placing. Like, what do you actually want out of a relationship? It's like, you can't know all that stuff within one. Well, maybe you can, I mean, maybe there are situations where you can like find that one person and figure it out. But I guess at least for my journey and my path, it's like, I needed to have multiple girls of a line, multiple aligned girls in my life to be like, Hey, like there's going to be another one. Like this isn't the last. So we happy to wrap it up on that. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking. I was, I was just thinking, like to kind of like wrap things up. If you wanted to, like, how would you summarize your experience in three words? Trust the process. Ooh, Ooh that is that's what we need. <laughs> nice but, one. Trust the process. <laughs> That'll be the title of this. <laughs> Good. Uh, cool. Thank right, you. Well, I guess that's the end of what? It's integration one? Yeah. yeah. Nice, Clayton. Yeah, that's awesome. You're really good at this. <laughs> Thanks. You're natural. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you start stepping into your alignment, you figure it out, I guess. Yeah, it's really good. It's fun. I enjoy it a lot, too. So, very cool. I'm going to stop the recording. And... Conscious Monkeys, are you looking for a CBD cream that actually works? I've tried many different CBD products and I've really never truly felt like any of them have worked for me. Like maybe there'd be like a little bit of tingling and then it would fade pretty quickly. Then came along Revive CBD. From the first time I tried it on, I could tell that there was something different about this product. I noticed that any joint pain I had was gone within minutes of applying it and it lasted for a significant duration. I don't have an exact time for you guys, but do your own test. <laughs> So if you're still looking for the right CBD cream, then this might be the right one for you. Because if you resonate with my vibe, then maybe you'll resonate with this vibe. I actually kind of just made that up on the spot. So hopefully you liked it. <laughs> Check out the link below. And as a side note, like always, the link below is an affiliate link. But again, I would not be promoting them if it didn't work for me. So hopefully it'll work for you. Again, check it out below, myrevibe.com. Get yours today. Conscious Monkeys, if you're looking to start your own podcast, I have the two tools that you need to use to get that show on the road. And the names are Buzzsprout and Riverside. I'm combining these into one ad because, you know, I've honestly had nothing but the best for them. But if you're going to be using one of them, you might be using the other one. So what Buzzsprout is, is essentially the platform that I use to put my podcast out there. It's the reason you can hear this. That's the reason that I appear on all these different directories. The thing you might also need is that if you're interviewing people, you're going to need Riverside as well. And quite frankly, I'm using it right now to even just record these podcasts because they will even dilate in, dilate in. I don't think that's the right phrase for it. They will harmonize your voice so that it sounds equivalent. So if I start talking quiet at one point, they have a built-in editor that will actually make your voice sound crisp. I highly suggest Buzzsprout and Riverside. Go check out the links below in the description. And like always, these are affiliate links. So I do get a minor kickback if you do sign up with them. However, like always, they are incredible. The support has been on point and they always get back to me. So I highly recommend them. If you have any questions that are there to help. So with that being said, go check it out in the link below and let's get back to the interview. What is up conscious monkeys? Welcome to part number three. Um, and in this part, I'm going to explain to you what I experienced in my second ayahuasca ceremony. Sorry, I'm feeling a little bit off. I mean, it was 
I guess literally less than it was about 24 hours ago. I would have started, I guess. So still feeling a little bit off, but bear with me here. Cause I'm going to get you the juicy stuff that you're looking for. And quite frankly, if you're kind of just skipping to hear the, um, hear my physical experience, like all for it, do what you got to do. But the real juice of this is going to come in the integration sessions, which I know it's like an hour 45, but I promise you, promise you, promise you that every single minute of that is going to be worth your time. I know it's something that I'm probably going to be re-listening to, to get it to just like seep into my subconscious because wow, they are powerful. Um, we've already recorded the second integration ceremony, uh, so, which is the part that's coming up after this part. And so to fill you in on what this part is, let me talk to you about the leading up and the physical night that I had. So we got to like the um, location where we were going to do it. Things weren't set up yet. So I was kind of chilling in the courtyard with Michael and we were kind of just talking. He was like, you know, have you thought about anything from that last ceremony kind of with like your higher self and with my, you know, with Clayton versus Igor, like this battle of, I don't know if I said in the beginning, but just as a reminder, I found out that my soul name is Igor. My name's Clayton. So if any you ever hear me referencing Igor, that's just like my soul. That's Clayton's soul is Igor. And so we were kind of talking about it and I don't remember exactly how the whole conversation went. Definitely a conversation I wish I recorded on a podcast, but the gist of the conversation came down to the fact that I had some, a lot of trauma. I, I guess trauma is not the right word for it, but I had a lot of blockage with regards to enlightenment. And the reason was, was because, you know, the way that the church personifies Jesus is that you know, first of all, he's considered kind of like the most enlightened person that there is, right? Or at least one of them. I, I'm sure there was a few, you know, from, you know, Buddha and we don't have to go down the whole list, but you know what I'm talking about. And fact of the matter is, is that the church teaches that Jesus never had a relationship, which isn't true. We are led to believe that Jesus didn't really have any money because he was a carpenter, which I'm not sure if that's true or not, that he had or didn't have money. And the last one being is that like whenever he got a huge following, he got killed for it. So I have a belief that, and I think there's a subconscious belief somewhere where becoming enlightened, becoming this evolved state of who you are, you get punished for it in multiple ways. And I think this has led to blocks of self-worth and other things, but that was kind of the intention going in is trying to rectify that. And personally, I'm not too sure that too much of that came up, but I will leave that up to you. So we get into ceremony. We do like a little nice meditation, which is really nice for grounding, setting the tone, getting your, everyone's energy aligned to the same thing. And so when we start off, I start off with a full cup because last time nothing really happened, whatever it is. And, you know, going into this, I was having some stomach discomfort pretty much between like my sacral and solar plexus chakras kind of from like the belly button to the rib bottom of the rib cage. It was very strong and very discomforting. And, you know, that was kind of at the beginning. And so, uh, you know, I took a full cup and then maybe about 30 to 45 minutes later, I threw up a little bit. It was kind of just like a small throw up and I just wasn't feeling really anything. I wasn't feeling like an altered state. Let's call it an altered state. I was very much sober. It felt 
and I was kind of just like laying on the mat, like nothing was happening. I was kind of just having random thoughts and I could just sit there and I was just anxious for the next time that he was going to offer me a cup because I was like, you know, nothing's happening. I need another cup, blah, blah, blah. And so eventually it comes to, he's doing chanting and singing and so is Jamie and it comes to that second offer. It's like, you know, Clayton, you want a second cup? And I'm like, yeah, I think we should do that. And he's like, how much? And I kind of froze. I was like, um, I think a full cup, maybe a half cup. And he was like, all right, well, I'll pour you a full cup. And, you know, of course you don't have to drink all of it if you don't feel it. Da, 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 da. I was like, okay, cool. So I say yes to the full cup. Um, and whenever I pick up the cup, kind of like the first ceremony, I start feeling pain in like the sacral region, the sacral region kind of became a little bit stronger. Oh, but this was before something before I actually took a drink, I started feeling the pain in my sacral chakra and kind of like in that solar plexus region. And somehow it comes up that like, you know, Jamie kind of does some, you know, stomach work, some energy work. And so I asked her if she could like, kind of like look into, you know, my stomach region. And I asked her like, Hey, can you tell me what's going on here? And she kind of put her hands up to it. And she kind of felt like the energy was kind of grabbing her hands back, like kind of like as like this, like holding thing. And what she was picking up was that it was my choice if I wanted to release this thing or not. Like it was kind of like this, it's up to me situation if I wanted to choose to release this energy and that it was kind of preventing her. She said, even kind of like the snake in the very first one, that it was kind of preventing her from actually doing any work. It was like, no, like this is Clayton's thing to figure out. (laughs) And she's like, you know, so you have choice, you have choice. And while she's saying that internally, I'm like, yes, yes. Like get us out of here. Like I'm down. Like I choose to, you know, release this negative emotion. Like let's do it. And so she kind of like stepped back and then I drank about, about a third of the cup and stopped. I kind of just intuitively stopped because it was funny because I took two sips of it and then I put the third, I went to take the third sip and put it up to my mouth. And Michael goes, also, by the way, I just wanted to remind you, like, you don't have to drink that if you don't want to. And it was funny because I stopped at my lips right before he said that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That, yeah, that sounds, that feels right. I don't think I want to drink this entire cup. And so then I put the cup down after drinking about a third. And then Michael came over to kind of do some work on my body and whatnot. And he's playing like this, uh, kind of like a sound bowl and like a drum. And it wasn't more than like 10 minutes after I took that third of a cup that I threw up like a little bit more. And I was like, Whoa, well that was weird. I was like, all right, I guess the body didn't want that. And now this is where it gets interesting. So buckle up. I laid down and when I laid down, Now you got to watch like the Dr. Strange movies. I'll put a uh, link to a video in the description of like the perfect scene uh, because there's actually, I actually fucking saw this shit. Like, and it was crazy. I'll I'll just link it below if you haven't seen it, but mostly from that first Dr. Strange movie where uh, I went into the mirror dimension. I shit you not. I was in the mirror dimension. Like, and it was even it was crazy to me because the entire time I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, this is exactly what is in Dr. Strange. Like this is exactly the, the dimension that existed. Now I will put a caveat that where I was, was a little bit more colorful, a little bit more vibrant, a lot higher energy, a lot more beauty and dynamic colors. And the, 
it, it was interesting because it was like kind of like these things were peeling together and peeling apart. And it's funny too, because there's actually, and I'll clip this below uh, from the YouTube video, but there was actually a moment in the Doctor Strange like fight scene whenever they're in the mirror dimension where this building kind of splits in half. And I saw it in the Doctor Strange and I was like, holy shit, that exact thing happened in my vision with this like splitting of it. And so it was just, it was so beautiful. It was like a beautiful chaos. And it's funny because that's kind of how I describe like Flume's music, not the new stuff because I'm not crazy about it, but his older stuff, I always saw it as like a beautiful chaos. So if you're looking for a musical interpretation of what I saw, it would be like Flume's music or even some of his artworks. And then what was interesting is what came next is that I, I don't want to say I fought it, but I was like, wait, I was like, I'm supposed to be here to be doing healing. I was like, why am I, I, I can't be in this beautiful mirror dimension of just absolute gorgeousness and tranquility and spectacle. I, I'm supposed to be here to heal. And whatever was helping me stay there kind of ignored it the first time. I brought up a second time because I like got re-entranced in the mirror dimension. And so then I kind of like a second time it came up, I was like, wait, I'm supposed to be here to do healing. And it kind of ignored it the second time. And then the third time I said, it was like, hold on, hold on, wait. I, I like, cause it was so beautiful guys. Like I can't, I can't even put it into words. The third time I came up, I was like, wait, I'm supposed to be here to be doing healing. And so then it like very slowly started to fade like the mirror dimension. And as it started to fade, I kind of kicked myself. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, do I have access to this in the future? And they're like, some voice was like, yes, you always have access to this. This is always available to you. And I was like, fuck yeah. And then (laughs) it was funny because right after I left, I instantly was like, shit, I want to be back there. (laughs) I was like, that was so cool. And so the lesson that I kind of took away from that, and we'll talk about this more in the integration ceremony, is that you can heal and enjoy the beauty of life at the same time. Like, I think there might be this, maybe I proposed it or maybe I'm coming from it, but I felt like there was this this feeling that it's like, well, I'm always going to be incomplete. And maybe it's a toxic thing through the healing process, but it's like, just enjoy where you are and just be where you are because that is where you're supposed to be. And so this healing, it's almost like that, that mirror dimension was used for healing. And so maybe it was like, okay, these are kind of one in the same thing, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if that makes sense or not, but I definitely go into a more detail in the integration ceremony. So stay tuned for that. Uh, And then, so I leave the mirror dimension and I'm kind of just sitting there, thoughts are coming through. And then I kind of start like violently shivering. And so it's like, it it wasn't, you know, you shiver, you kind of get closed in and start shivering. But with me, my body was like rattling against the ground. Excuse me. And it was interesting because as I was shivering, I kind of had this notion of like, am I shivering on purpose or is someone else like shivering me? I was like, do I have control over this? And as soon as I said that it stopped, <laughs> the shivering stopped. And then what happened is there was like an onset of that tension in my solar plexus between my solar plexus and my sacral chakra and my rib cage and my belly. And I was like, wait, the shivering was helping. And so like, right when I said that, I kind of started like shivering violently again. 
And so that lasted probably about 10 to 15 minutes and it was kind of comforting. It wasn't like, you know, anything too bad or I don't really know how to describe it. But then after the, after the shivering, um, I then started having all these random thoughts about, uh, like people who have come on the podcast and like certain brands that are trying to work with me. And I started realizing and thinking about boundaries and the importance of where I need to set those boundaries in my life. And it was interesting because I could kind of play with how I wanted to set those boundaries. Like, did it make sense to do this or this? Like, what's the best way to articulate this or that? And it really came across more beautifully, I think, than my 3D human brain could have possibly imagined. Um, yeah. And so that was, that was kind of cool to kind of just sit there and kind of go through the boundaries. And, and if you want to hear a lot more about boundaries, we get into it deep in the next integration and in part four, I guess it would be, but I highly recommend that you listen to the part, the next segment, if you're dealing with boundaries in your life, because we discuss in great detail, the importance of them and how it can actually manifest beauty in the world, which blew my mind. Um, and so then at that point, I kind of like started phasing out. I was still a little like, you know, there really wasn't much going on. And then with my like stomach and everything, I was like, oh shit, like I'm about to pop. <laughs> so I sat up, got in tabletop on all fours. And quite frankly, I was like violently throwing up. Um, oh, actually I have a note here. Oopsies. I have a note here that it was somewhere after leaving the mirror dimension that I violently threw up. So I don't really remember exactly when that was, but I guess that really doesn't matter. Um, but then whenever I did sit up, it was interesting, the correlation of me sitting up and then M Michael, our ceremony leader being like, all right, ceremony is now closed because it was like so synchronistic that it was crazy. Sorry if that didn't make sense. Um, cause I feel like I jumped around a lot right there. Uh, basically what happened was mirror dimension, violently throwing up. And then I think I went into the boundaries and started working on the boundaries that I could be setting. And then I was laying there for a bit. And then whenever I went to sit up, like right as I sat up and was like sitting up and again, we're in pitch black dark, right? As I sat up, Michael was like, okay, ceremony is now closed. And so that was really fascinating to see. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we're kind of sitting there and we're talking about, you know, what happened. And I like, was explaining everything to them. And then I kind of noticed that, you know, Michael wasn't doing too well. So then Jamie went over and started helping him with like some energy work. And it was interesting because I then commented, I was like, wait, I thought to myself, I was like, wait, I still have some discomfort between my like sacral and, uh, between my rib cage and my stomach. And at this point it actually started moving down towards my root chakra like towards like, I guess the, uh, what would it be called? Like the pelvic floor almost. And, and so then I was like, wait, I was like, let me ask Jamie. I was like, Jamie, can, can you revisit like my stomach and see what is going on? See if we can move anything, if anything's changed. Uh, and she was like, yeah, sure. Like, I thought you were just doing so well. Like <laughs> I didn't know you needed help. I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, let's, let's do it. I guess let's see what comes up. Um, and so, so then she laid down, she sang a couple things. I, sorry, I laid down, she sang a couple things, started speaking to like that energy. She said that there was a lot of fear. Um, then Michael came in and started to chime in and he started to do some work himself. Uh, now I'm kind of going to keep 
what came up a little bit personal because I will say that it was a repressed memory, which was crazy because I didn't think I had any repressed memories, which is really ironic now that I say that out loud. <laughs> uh, nobody thinks they have repressed memories, right? Um, so that was really fascinating that a repressed memory came up. And the reason that I'm going to leave it at that is because I need to talk with people and see what if there's any validity in it or if maybe it's just a figment of my imagination or I don't know. I really don't know. So that's what I'm going to leave that at. Um, stay tuned because keep listening because we are going to get into relationships even deeper, boundaries, relationships, you know, healing. It, it like uh, listen to these things. Even if you didn't listen to that first one, I think you should go back and listen to the integration ceremony because we pulled some beautiful, beautiful things out of out of these ceremonies, and it's incredible to say the least. Um, so, with that being said, I appreciate you all and. Again, if you want to know what the mirror dimension is, go click down below, um, but make sure you're able to keep listening to me because you can listen to me and watch that at the same time. So stay tuned and I love you all and check out the integration ceremony with Jamie, Michael, and I. Conscious monkeys, I've got something out there for all my coaches, anybody who has digital courses, anybody who's creating content, whether it's audio or video, you got to check out Superpass. Superpass is the super dope platform that I've been using now, and they're actually what has enabled my app to work. It's what's enabled me to start generating income and to help people more effectively. If you are a content creator, you create audio, video, whatever it may be, Superpass might be the choice for you because they'll provide you with your own app and they have a great online service to also help you out. So I'm not going to put in too much because everything they do is way too much to pack into this one ad. I will say go click the link below because that is where you'll be able to find all the information. This is an affiliate link and I wouldn't be promoting them if it didn't help me. Click the link below and go check out Superpass. With that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the last segment of the interview. All right, so this is the second integration and I'll just pass it over to you guys to let me know what you think. However you run these. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for completing your two ceremonies. Uh, many retreat experience with us. So yeah, just before we begin, just invite you just to take a breath, breath into the body, into the heart, just knowing that all the information that you received is all present there, all the wisdom, all the gainings, all of the awakenings, the insights, all available. But following on from what we said in integration session part one, there's an invitation to firstly feel how can I anchor that into my experience? How can I anchor that vibration into my body, my being going forward, simultaneously coupled with what did I learn? So just feeling into that for a moment and then just inviting you to summarize that, just to summarize your experience of how that feels when you tune into that right now. Sometimes we have a lot of experiences on the surface that are like narratives and stories and experiences, which can be useful to explain. But the invitation is just to drop deeper into that heart awareness, that unified field of consciousness, and just to see what it is that wants to be anchored in into Clayton 2.0. Love it. <laughs> um. It's interesting because I don't know that there's a lot of things that really 
how would I say this? Like fully anchor. Like that, it didn't seem like there was too many things that were very like on the nose of need to do. Really, the main one I think would have been is like the way to set boundaries and that setting more boundaries, especially as like the podcast grows, is something that I need to do more of, whether it's with brands or other people looking for advice or guests or whatever it is. I feel like that's really the first and really the main probably actionable step that I pulled away from it. The other element that I pulled away, I think, is just, you know, trusting the process, trusting that, you know, even though it feels like at some level, I guess, I guess something crazy kind of did happen. And again, I'm going to put, I'm going to have an intro to this where it's like just me explaining the entire process. Um, like with the mirror dimension and everything, but so I guess there was that coupling, I guess, I, I guess the boundaries. And then the other thing would be just like trusting that those seeds have been sowed. And it's, I think the main thing that's kind of coming back to me is from our first integration when it was like, well, maybe more seeds are just going to be planted. And I think that's kind of what happened. I, I think there was just more seeds that were planted and started growing. And I think in reality, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's kind of what I like and what I want in the big picture, right? It's a marathon. And that's something that you see with like podcast hosts. It's like people who do podcasts, I think you tend to see that long-term game. Like that's what, you know, you see the people who have done 500 episodes. It shows consistency. It shows commitment. And I think that's something that, you know, you expand out onto anything, whether it's relationships, whether it's a business, it's, it's showing that commitment to something. And so I'm thinking about it in terms of income streams. It's like, you know, would you rather just keep laying all these seeds and planting all these seeds in different income streams and then allow them to grow up whenever they need to grow and start to prosper and show their fruits of their labor? And what's also coming to me is, you know, being 28, it's like I'm still pretty, pretty young in terms of everything. And so this is the time to just plant seeds. There's no reason for me to really harvest anything or to collect the quote unquote fruits of my labor, I'm, I'm still more than happy to defer that, you know, down the road. Cause I don't really have any financial responsibilities of any great magnitude. So I think it's, it's great to see those seeds being sowed. Beautiful. You okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just think that's, that's really beautiful. Um, continuing with the analogies from, from last time. And the question then is really, and what can you do to then nurture those seeds rather than harvesting, rather than thinking about how am I going to harvest that? I'm going to share a few things um, from our experience and how we can assist people. Well, just before we do that, is there anything intuitively that comes up for you that can really make you be like a A plus farmer of the seeds <laughs> of your life? <laughs> um, the things that are coming to mind are, I, I think just the consistency, keep, keep going, trust the process, set the boundaries, you know, trust that I am doing what I need to do. And it's interesting because like not quote unquote, really getting anything specific other than the boundaries. That's an implication to me that like, I already know that's kind of like a message that you already know the answer. And that answer would be is trust the process, stay consistent, keep doing what you're doing, you know, and everything that you want will come to you. And I think like 
the reason that the thoughts came around with the setting the boundaries was because that's something that I'm kind of dealing with, with regards to everything I laid out before. And so I guess that would probably be like the one like little push that ayahuasca or the universe was giving me was that, okay, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep the consistency going. We see what you're doing. We love what you're doing. Just set a few more boundaries. Just think about this at scale a little bit more. You know, you got to respect your own time. Are you showing up to these people, whether it's people in your inbox or brands, are you showing up and expressing love at the fullest magnitude when setting these boundaries as well? I think those are really the main things that came up for me. Um, so yeah, what, what would you, would you add anything? No, I, I just think that, I think that setting a boundary is probably one of the highest forms of unconditional love. I think it's often misconstrued as, oh, boundaries and constriction. It's an absolute expansion outwards from the very being. And work with a lot of clients who have had difficulty setting boundaries because whether someone's abused or have narcissists in their family or whatever it may be from societal or personal structures, people's boundaries are overstepped and we don't even recognize what our boundaries are. So that first coming into awareness of, this was what works for me. This is what doesn't work for me. And then actually expressing that. So I just want to really highlight the importance that a boundary not only is unconditional love for you, it's also unconditional love for, for others in that process. And being a demonstration of compassionate boundaries is not something that I think is super prevalent, but I think it's something that we certainly need more of. Yeah. Yeah. And Clayton, I just love that too. I, I know that there's been several things come up and ac- across the two ceremonies and in the integration conversations about the boundaries um, and about, you know, last night we were, the three of us were talking about particularities and that there's different words for that. It could be called high maintenance or it could be, but for me, it's, it's, you know, uh, these are the things I know about myself to be true. These are my preferences this is how I like things. And um, being able to express that and communicate that is, um, I want to say too, uh, you know, on top of the boundaries is like a, it just by doing so is like an act of self-love. Sometimes when we think of when people are like, oh, I need more self-love or, oh, I should practice self-love. It's like, sometimes that feels intangible. Like, what does that actually look like? Mm. Well, it can look like, you know, like last night, Michael saying, um, I want 20% juice and 80% water. Okay, great. Um, and he's taking care of himself and knows what he needs. And so something that Something we find often comes out of ayahuasca ceremony or experiences people have, and we continue to have these experiences too, getting clearer on like, oh, I kind of let some of my energy go there, or I wasn't being as attentive to my needs in that situation. In the future, I want to do it this way. Um, But people often find when they come out of a ceremony experience or to ceremony experience that like, Uh, I feel a little different, like I want to behave differently or I want to respond to that differently or I'd like in that relationship to show up a little differently or be stronger in myself or like you were saying, have more love, but still be able to go, you know what? I really love the three hour conversations. And when it's two hours, it doesn't feel like it's authentic, like the three hours. So um, so yeah, that's another thing that I would say in, in terms of integration of of ayahuasca ceremony 
it seems like it's inevitable that we come out of it and feel ourselves differently in relationships with others and feel ourselves wanting to be more clear with ourselves, more clear with other people, communicate more clearly in whatever way that that shows up. And it sounds like you've, you've touched on that with your experiences. Yeah. And I would absolutely love to expand on that. Uh, what you briefly talked about was like, um, how the high maintenance, I, I would love to, cause I think that would be a perfect real world example that it, it really is interesting how that does incorporate boundaries and self-love into the same practice. And for those who weren't in the room last night, <laughs> <laughs> or I guess even in this room, uh, I kind of had this, so there have been the past three girls that I've kind of had a somewhat serious relationship with, I guess serious is a ambiguous term, but let's say an intimate, like connected relationship with all of them commented on how I was high maintenance. And the first two, whenever they would comment on it, I would kind of take it as, Oh, like, is, is something wrong with me? Like, am I asking too much? Am I, it was kind of like this internal dialogue of, so self-criticism, I guess. And then whenever it came with the third girl and she said that as well, I kind of made a joke like, oh, well, like you must like that. And she like giggled and laughed and was like, yeah, I do. And I never had this conscious awareness of it. And I even brought it up to my mom and she was like, yeah, you are high maintenance. But then I never had this conscious awareness until we were talking about it last night where it's like, yeah, you, you're in tune with your authentic self. You know what you want and you're unafraid to communicate that with other people. And I think, and it's so interesting because like how we've said, it's like the society has kind of almost warped that away from us. But yet in reality, that's so attractive to see someone who knows what they want, isn't afraid to say what they want. And it comes back to showing yourself self-love because you're like, this is what my body and soul needs and what it desires. And that goes from the smallest thing from 20% juice to <laughs> living in PSAC, right? <laughs> you know, if you know what your soul desires and you're un, you're unafraid to communicate that, that's whenever I guess, you know, you're being authentic and showing yourself self-love. Yeah. I just want to comment that the 20% juice, 80% water, that's the easy thing. That's the easy part. It's just the start of things. So <laughs> it's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. The tip of the iceberg. <laughs> what was it we were saying also last night that, you know, incarnated all the way to earth as a limitless being and decided to have a body and be limited in this lifetime that of course it's going to be high maintenance of course it's going to be an oil change required so that we've taken on a massive task but just to bring that back in terms of to the boundaries of, uh, and why that's so important so why we when we can create this in terms of an ayahuasca integration is there's a couple of analogies that want to come forth first is like a scaffolding on a building so you could see the scaffolding on the building as a boundary and the scaffolding on the building is something that's supporting you to then grow that build or build that building. So as you're then incorporating and anchoring this new vibration in, those boundaries can be seen as the scaffolding that are supporting you and that then you can have more space to then grow into that. And then eventually you won't need the scaffolding because you'll already be just so true in what you are, what you know. Another analogy can be similar to if you see some of those like green, like white kind of greenhouses or areas of where plants are grown, that as those are growing, there needs to be a boundary around to create that atmosphere that's fertile, that stops the frost getting in, that doesn't allow animals or pests in so that you can then allow that to grow. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the boundaries that you create as you go forth 
really create the energetic structure for those seeds to grow in. So as you start feeling those boundaries, as you start recognizing, oh, one of the main things coming up for me is that how I need to communicate my boundaries, that can be seen and see how this resonates in your body as it's shared as a manifestation of the new vibration of your being, which is actually anchoring in, wanting to express itself differently in relationships so that you're no longer overstretched, overextended, and that that beautiful process of integration can flourish and blossom without a storm or heavy weather starting to kind of dampen that or or destroy that new growth. Yeah. And there's two things that I was thinking about when you said that right at the end there, where you're talking about like that heavy storm, it's interesting because when you usually look up ayahuasca, you know, ceremonies, this was my experience on ayahuasca. It's usually something very cat, the, the ones that get the most attention are usually something so catastrophic. Like I fell all the way down to the pits of hell. I saw people like scorching the earth. I saw like all these terrible things, but like you're saying, it's, it's almost, it's almost, uh, it, it reminds me of kind of like the loudest person in the room gets the most attention. I mean, end of the day, it can just be this very subtle and peaceful little just exploration of the mirror dimension or, hey, set boundaries in these situations. Like, that's why you're thinking of this person or that person or, you know, and so then the other thing that was kind of setting in was your analogy around like that protective measure around the scaffolding of the building. It was reminding me of the conscious versus the subconscious where it's like, you put that scaffolding up because you know what you want it to look like, right? You know what you want that final project to look like. And in my case, I feel like that would be trusting the process, setting boundaries. And so you almost need this conscious mind in order to reprogram that subconscious. You need that scaffolding that is saying, hey, trust the process. Like you, you can come back to the conscious mind as this barrier to be like, trust the process, set the boundaries, trust the process, set the boundaries. And over time, that'll just get integrated into the house. And then you no longer have to have this conscious dialogue of repeating that over and over and over again. It'll just be second nature. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you want to say no, something, but I'm just going to continue. Like going back to the juice, what we were just talking about. So part of my experience last night, whilst we were holding space, um, was I was seeing I could reduce the amount of juices that... and natural natural sugars that I was intaking in the body. Um, not that they were necessarily bad. It was just reduce, reduce the intake, dilute it down more, dilute that more, and you'll actually feel more hydrated and there'll be less stress on kidneys long-term, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I was feeling this, feeling very true. And we talked about this last, uh, last session where it was just, okay, wow, that makes sense. I can feel it all in my body. I can see that that's cool. Okay, that's an easy adjustment to make. Of course, that would make sense. That makes sense to me. And then we had an opportunity immediately when Jamie brought in uh, some of the hydration uh, lemonade after after ceremony for us. And I was just like, well, can I have, can I have 20% lemonade and 80% water? And I think that you thought I meant the other way around. Yeah, I did. And so I was like, I could feel it in my body. I could feel my whole body of like the new vibration. We talked about this last time as well. I've already moved to that new vibration where the new vibration of my body wants 20% and 80% where the old body might have wanted 80% and 20% or more like 50, 50, but whatever it is. 
So that now that that expression of that new vibration, I would be deceiving myself if I then said, oh, don't worry, Jamie's made me a, a glass with 80, 20 uh, juice of water the wrong way around. And that, but I don't want to upset Jamie's feelings. Mm. I should just be grateful. There's just a really clear and, you know, very yes. clear in the, in the ayahuasca space. No, this is important for me to anchor this. And then it's not just like, you made me the wrong drink. It's like, hey, I've, could you could, could you make this drink for me? I was like, I've just had this process. This is why it's really important. And then we kind of go through the process and you're more than happy to kind of accommodate that. And that's just one example of how we can go about when we have that first opportunity after the ayahuasca ceremony, we have the first opportunity to take a different path, then we are able to anchor that in. And I'll just briefly talk about the neuro pathways of how that happens to kind of kind of bring a bit more of like a, a science or a biological background along time to the metaphysics. So that as we create different choices, as we take different choices, you can imagine it like a, a railway track, say a railway track that's been uh, gone down the whole time. You know, there's a very clear track and there's a path. Uh, or you could even look at it like a jungle trail that's been been kind of cut through and everyone walks through there. But I'm going to stick with the railway track. The old patterns and behaviors, and I'm going to say with me having more high concentration juice would be a pattern and a pathway that's well uh, ridden, it's well cleared, it's well it's well traversed. And that's how the neural pathway then processes that. So to bring that into an emotion, that, that pathway can be also seen as an emotion of how you might deal with anger or a situation or jealousy or a boundary or someone approaching you on a podcast. This would be the way that you used to do this. Now, bringing it back into what we shared to advance on last uh, last session that we discussed, you can revisit this if this needs to make more sense. Looking at the automatic, semi-automatic and manual changes, we can relate that to how the neural pathways begin to change. So it was clear for me last night in the ceremony that a neural pathway had begun to change because I could feel the resonance in my body. My body doesn't want to take that amount of, uh, of natural sugar in, in, in this moment in time. So there's a change that's already begun. So a new neural pathway has begun to, to grow. So you can see that as like cutting a new path through the jungle with a machete or perhaps, uh, yeah, so we'll go to like the, the pathway through the, through, the, through the jungle. Or you could see that also with the train analogy, if there was a path that wasn't there, that was a grown over, we start building a new pathway through that, build a new train track, and then that moves down and comes through it. So the integration of that is then taking action, taking action, implementing that straight away as that neural pathway has begun to grow. In other words, another way we're dealing with emotions or situations, whether it be jealousy, anger, however we do this, or drinking juice in whatever way that context that is, that choice to then say to Jamie, hey, could you please make this juice in a different way, strengthens that neural pathway, which has already begun to grow, which is like putting water on that seed. So those seeds that are being planted, I've then watered that seed, which allows it to grow, which can also be seen as creating like a, an incubation area around that kind of greenhouse area that allows that to grow. And then the more and more that we take those new neural pathways by choosing the alignment, choosing our alignment over and over and over again, what eventually happens is that the primary pathway which we were using, which we could describe as a negative choice or out of alignment choice, the jungle path begins to grow over or the train tracks, they start getting grass in and they become overgrown until eventually the new pathway is actually has the, is the path of least resistance because you have then 
trodden that in that has been ingrained in that new neural pathway is now the predominant one so that's when you can kind of take away the scaffolding from the building you don't need the greenhouse because now there's a tree that has its own roots so i think that's an interesting analogy to see how that and why the importance of that repetition of choosing alignment choosing everything every day because the work we do in an ayahuasca ceremony as you say the seeds are planted but the real integration of the work comes when we're faced with choice and decisions when we actually get to see what our new alignment is and we have to choose do I want to actually continue to water those seeds, continue to choose this new alignment, or do I want to go back to old habits, patterns, and behaviors? Yeah, and I know I saw a lot of resonance with that in my very first psilocybin, you know, ceremony with, because I, I woke up the morning after like with this mad headache, and I also had done research where I know that mushrooms open up different neural pathways, and I could literally like feel that <laughs> that breaking in my mind of a certain cir circumstances. It kind of just felt like being hungover. And I'd like to get Jamie in on this because what's interesting to me is how you're describing like, okay, this was this old pattern with juice. And so what my assumption is, and I'd love to hear if you verify this, that you were also operating because your pre -cre preconceived notion of who Michael is before that ceremony is like, okay, he's, he wants 80% juice, 20% water. That's who he is. But then in this moment of like, oh, like, and it goes back to our first session when it was like that 10,000 deaths. It's like, okay, you had, Michael had like this ego, I don't, it wasn't really ego death, but he had a metaphorical death of the sugar intake. And you as his partner haven't been updated on that until this moment. And so your mind just defaulted to, oh, he wants 80% juice. Like I heard 80, 20, but it's 80% juice. And then whenever push came to shove, he was like, no, 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 no. Like I, he didn't articulate it, but it was like, I'm a different person now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I meant 20% juice. <laughs> yeah. No, am I interrupting you? No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. No, that's great. And it's funny because it's what you're asking is linking up with what I felt like was important to share. So here's our group consciousness at play right now again. Um, yeah. So the interesting thing of this too is, and this is also, this is also take homes for integration from ayahuasca ceremony. Anytime we recognize something in us has shifted and that, oh, you know what? I do want to do the three hour interviews, they are the bomb. And I feel great and flourish in those situations. And that feels like it's me. Or I want the 80% water and 20% juice. When we discover that about ourselves and get clearer on that about ourselves, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that feels good. It feels centered in me. Yeah. Okay. So then next time someone, next time I'm serving Michael Juice and Michael Juice and he says that. Now, here's the thing we have the opportunity like Michael did last night to just communicate directly, not out of, Hey, like he said, not out of anger and not out of fear. Oh my God, I hope she does the juice. <laughs> you know, this, this is a funny example, but it's true. And it applies to anything metaphorically, but so that's sort of step one. That's a really big deal to just be like, Hey, and especially to people we know and that are used to engaging us in a certain way and are used to a certain dynamic to come in and go, Hey, okay. My juice percentage has changed. And to communicate that just from a place of stillness, I, I want the juice to be like this. Now that's like step one, because the next thing is what happens then with the other person? What happens in the relationship? How does the other person respond? So last night, I just didn't hear it because I'm assuming the other. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. I know I got this. 
And Michael's like, no, you don't (laughs) switch it. And I'm like, what? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll switch it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Still got it. But now we're switched. So in that case, I'm a person in Michael's life who was able to, okay, hear him, take it in, make the shift, fine juice change. Now I know going forward too, when we drink juice at the house, it's going to be different. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, I'm like, okay, that's what Michael needs and wants. Cool. I don't have any attachment to it or anything. Now, another thing that can happen and does happen quite honestly and quite frequently Again, metaphorically, this could be applied to many things. So Michael's changed his behavior. It's got ingrained in him. It's an automatic shift. And now he's a different person with juice. And he says that to me, his wife. And I could be like, whoa, what do you mean? Because I have some attachment to him drinking more juice. Or like, that's who he is. Yes. And I'm like, whoa, you always drink 80% juice. And he's like, well, not tonight. And I'm like, what's happened? What's different? Maybe I start playing out a story in my head that he's not the same person. And I get scared. And I feel like, you know, all sorts of things that we can play out. he's going to leave. Maybe it's me. What's wrong with me? Right. So that could be the response that someone in our lives has when we apply that new, when we, when we you know, directly communicate. This is who I am. This is what's changed. This is how I do things now. Okay. And someone in our lives can very easily go, Mm-mm, no, I'm not okay with that. That scares me. I'm afraid. I'm used to this other dynamic. I was comfortable there. Now you're different. What does that mean for me? Now are, are you abandoning me? So it doesn't always mean that because something beautiful has shifted in us that we're more clear on and now we're more true and authentic with ourselves and we're able to move forward and we feel lighter and we feel more uplifted and centered. And oh, someone we love can't deal with it, doesn't like it, gets defensive, doesn't know how to handle it, can't even be present in the conversation. And then, so this is the next step that ayahuasca ceremonies tend to teach us or retreats or a two weekend or a weekend immersion. Then we now have the opportunity. How am I responding to this person's response? Am I, am I now going to clinch and contract and, Oh crap, I need to go back to the way I was. I'll go back to drinking 20% juice or 20% water, 80% juice. Shoot. I don't want Jamie to be mad at me. I'm scared of how Jamie feels. Now I don't want her to abandon me. So this is also where we have the opportunity to recognize that next level, because that's such a beautiful, such a, God, such beautiful healing and growth to be able to communicate what we need to somebody, to anyone, to ourselves. But then that next step is when we get pushback, someone's like, "Mm, uh, no, I don't want to do that. That thing that you said, I can't really follow that. I don't like that. That doesn't make sense. As a matter of fact, not only that, but I'm going to judge you for doing it. Mm. We have an opportunity then to strengthen it even more in ourselves Or to just go ahead and feel it even stronger, how scared we get when we speak our truth or our our authenticity. So it invites to a next level of, okay, this person, uh, Michael said that how much juice he wants, Jamie has responded poorly. Now Michael has a choice. He can just be like, and I can feel him what he would do if I responded poorly. He would be like, just don't worry about it. Don't serve me. I did say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, so I forgot. I was just like, I was no, so he would just, just do like, that. He would totally yeah. do that. He would just be like, just don't worry He's about it. About like putting I'll take care of myself. Yeah. yeah. 
So, um, <laughs> and so then, so that's another thing you do, then you can just have that next level that gives you that opportunity for that next step of how to engage people then of like, okay, this person's kind of interfering with or blocking or having a problem or, or resistant to this. And it's like, okay, they get to be that way, which is what I could see Michael doing with me last night. Uh, Jamie gets to respond like that. And still I'm going to do what I need. So it just allows us to step into that more and more. There's a funny thing in the human collective that for some reason, our egos need things from people that aren't necessary. Our egos need things from people that aren't necessary. We actually don't need anything from anybody. Our egos believe that we do. And so if we're hanging out with our ego a little too much, we we think, oh, well, this person, I need them to be that way, to stay that way, to, to hang out in this dynamic. I'm comfortable there. And we don't need that. So these also get this, these new boundaries, these new sort of centeredness also gives us an opportunity to recognize, oh, that person gets to react that way, respond that way. They get to feel all the feelings they want to feel about it, tell themselves all the stories they want. I'm still going to drink 20% juice. So that's kind of the next step into it, the take home. Yeah. The two things that are coming up for me are number one, who knew you could have such a profound life lesson from juice? (laughs) (laughs) Ridiculous. Never thought that was possible. (laughs) Uh, The second thing that is coming up and we talked about, I talked about this with a girl in episode uh, 43. We, she did an ayahuasca journey and I basically, we talked about her whole experience and this came up in there and it's coming up now here where, you know, you hear stories of people who are like, um, I don't know where it comes from media, whatever, where they're like, Oh, I know somebody who did ayahuasca and they were a different person. Like they changed and it comes and it's delivered with this, like this kind of vitriol, this like, negative energy, this insecurity. And we absorb that and they're like, oh shit, ayahuasca is going to change me. Like that's not good. But in the reality of it, it's like, no, it's going to change you for the better. And what we're witnessing is someone else's perception of this other person changing, not being okay with it, it making them insecure about themselves and then projecting outward that this is a bad thing that is happening. We can't, we can't change. Like everything needs to stay the same. We all need to stay comfortable and not move and not change and not evolve. And, and so I think that's another fear that kind of gets perpetuated with this type of work. No, it's Clayton. It's true. Um, and just the fact of the matter is that is, you know, especially with ayahuasca, the plant ayahuasca and, you know, the, the ayahuasca brew that that we work with is just pure chacruna and ayahuasca, those two plants together, the leaves and the the um, stem of the vine. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, um, what the plants do and what ayahuasca does, and we, we've noticed it from the start and we just continue to see it in our own work and, and being observant and bearing witness to people that we work with, uh, participants. Ayahuasca really catalyzes quickly it catalyzes transformation very rapidly i i always say the word i use it it does things at light speed and so it it has the potential to shift us very quickly in one ceremony and two ceremonies in a 10-day retreat that things that we've 
not known or haven't been able to dive into or felt stuck about consciously, unconsciously, it has the ability to make them very viscerally or immersively or experientially apparent to where it's like an embodiment of, of, okay, I'm, I'm different. I've changed. And it can do that in a way that normally just going through our daily lives, that's something that may take a year or three years or five years for that transformation to happen or that growth to happen. And so when we come back from those experiences, an ayahuasca ceremony, two ayahuasca ceremonies, a, a retreat, whatever that is, all of a sudden we're different. And on the personal level, that can even be like, whoa, I can't, I can't go back and work the same way that I used to. I can't run my business the same way I used to. Oh my gosh, the, my, my primary relationship, my partner, I can't behave the same way I used to. I have to treat this person differently. You know, I've come out of ceremony before and Michael's like, oh my God, thank God. I've come out of ceremony before and I've said, when I get angry with you, I just realize how much of a waste of my time it is. I'm so sorry. I can't be angry with you like that anymore. Michael's like, oh God, thank God, you guys. Thank you. <laughs> He's like, thank you, plants. Um, but like, it'll just hit me. I, I Experientially, I'm like, oh my dear God, this is such a waste of time when I get angry. And then when I'm angry at him, it's such a projection. I can feel it. Right. And it's, so it's not only a waste of my time, but then also I'm causing problems for him when I'm projecting it onto him and then wasting even more time acting like, okay, it's Michael and that's why I'm angry. And, um, that realization, honestly, I don't know how that would have come to me any other way besides just having that experience and ceremony of like, and me feeling what it feels like at the deepest level of my cells when I get angry and then project it onto him. And it's like, oh, it makes me sick. But I could not have figured that out. So then we come out of ceremony, we come out of retreat, we come out of whatever with the plants and we've changed. Thank God. Right. <laughs> because that's really all the, in, in our observation, that's all the plants are doing. When I say plants, ayahuasca, chacruna, that's what they're doing is they're assisting us in advancing, evolving. They're assisting us in evolving and they're doing it quickly. And I think they're part of sort of the planet's um, stewards. They're like, the planet's like, uh, can someone give us some help with humanity? And the plants are like, we heard the call. Let's go Let's yeah. spread around the planet. <laughs> this is our job. <laughs> yeah. So it's really sweet on some level, but at the same time, anyone who, like you said, is really kind of on their, in their human experience, really holding fast to everything being routine, mm -hmm. not being any different, having safety and security in that, which I totally get. And again, the ego loves safety and security and things not changing. And we all have ego. So of course, so yeah, it can be unsettling for people who are afraid of change, afraid of changing themselves. Change can be scary. Rapid change can be even more sort of like unsettling and it's okay it's all okay. So, so that's also where the strangeness is when you come away from this and something has changed inside of like, Oh gosh, how do I go and communicate this and share this with the people that I love? And, and how much do I talk about? How much do I just continue to process? How much is just through demonstration of me being different now? And so it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And, um, and yeah, People who are afraid of change, and again, I'm, 
all the love in the world for that because I've been there myself. And no matter how often I change and, and experience transformation, there's still things I bump up against. And I'm like, oh God, is that about to change? I don't know if I'm ready, you know? So I still get scared. Um, so a lot of love for anybody who feels resistant to change. And yeah, there, there will be discomfort sometimes in relationships because of that rapid change from the plants in ayahuasca. Especially if you're someone who's on that journey of just, once you hit that spiral, I think you just can't, you almost can't stop. It's, it seems like it's difficult. It's almost like, just give me the next thing. Just give me the next thing. And that even kind of comes back to, at least that's my projection. And it comes back to the whole mirror dimension that I was kind of in where it was like, wait, I'm not supposed to be in this beautiful, abstract, geometric, life altering perception of reality. I'm supposed to be doing healing. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like what are you doing? And, and it's like, just enjoy the beauty of it. It's like, just take a second, relax, take a step back. And, and what's also interesting about that now that I'm putting it together is like, that abstract nature of the mirror dimension, it's like, it's always constantly changing too. Mm. It's not staying still. Mm. I'm observing this thing that is ever changing. And, and the beauty of it is the fact that it's changing, right? I mean, there's, of course, if you were to just take an isolated picture of it, yeah, it would be beautiful to look at those geometric patterns, the integration of colors that you kind of can't even put into words, but it, yet it looks like physical world stuff. And, but then the fact that it's even moving and separating and in, and like intertwining with itself and parsing out and, and all these things makes it even that much more beautiful. You know, it's like a picture is worth a thousand words, but you know, that video, let's call it a video or that animation that I saw was worth 10 million. Mm-hmm. And the other, sorry, I'll let you yeah, get no, on this. No, the, you go. the one thing I'll just end on is just that even from a scientific perspective, the only constant in this universe is change. That's the only constant that exists in the entire world is change. And so for, and it might be triggering to people. It might even trigger people who are afraid of change. And it's, it's fascinating because it's like one of those things, it's like, do you really want to just do what you're doing and live the life you're living forever? Maybe some people do. Maybe, maybe there are people that incarnate with the intention of just kind of taking a break life to realize like, okay, this is a beautiful place. I've had so much trauma throughout my lives that I just need one life to just like relax, take it easy, let everything come to me, realize that there is beauty on earth, you know? And so maybe, you know, maybe some people hear that and they're like, ah, like, it's all right, like whatever. But I think even at a deeper level, it's, it's that understanding that change is the only thing that exists and there's beauty in it which I'm now just putting together, I think is from that mirror dimension, like evolution. It's like, mm. there's the beauty. I'm tr- it's like, I'm trying to show you the beauty and you're trying to get away because you think that there's something negative that you need to be focused on or something bad had to have happened in order for you to experience the wonder and awe and the completeness of the universe and what it is. And it's like, no, just notice the change of it. Notice how the birds fly notice how the trees sway in the wind. It's like, they're not looking for more trauma and they're probably more peaceful than any person on earth. That's beautiful. 
like to share a little bit more about that first, but I was just, when you were talking about that life where people might want to take a break, I think that's what cats, that's when people incarnate as cats. <laughs> <laughs> that's what was coming up. I think that's the one. That's the that's cat. cats. <laughs> we just often think just like, wow, it'd be really great to, to incarnate as a cat and just have some, with a good owner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Caveat with a good owner and just like chill, sleep, travel like astral realms by day and just go yeah. out at night. It's fun, but it's beautiful because um, we didn't. We you and I didn't get to talk too much about the the mirror realm last night, and it's great that we're getting to talk about it now. So I want to bring attention, and I'm going to paraphrase a quote from Ra from the Law of One, mm. uh, which is a great channel book series, uh, which has a lot of great content about the the universe and and metaphysics and uh, everything else. So um, highly recommend that. But the quote I want to talk about is that healing occurs when one recognizes themselves as the infinite creator. So that true healing occurs when one, in other words, recognizes themselves as, as God, as the infinite consciousness. And that a misconception often is that healers are doing healing. And really that how that brings that back is, all the healer is, is to help create an environment and a space for someone to connect to the infinite truth as themselves, as the infinite creator. And I'm just going to put some other words in there as consciousness, as the universe, as their higher self, different ways, different access points to similar energies, vibrations. But it sounds like, and, and please correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, it sounds like that through connecting to that mirror dimension, that you are connecting to something that's beyond the human experience, that's more of a vibration, a sense, an essence, where it's almost like, the, I think I heard you saying as well, that you were kind of just like, oh, it's just so nice to kind of be here, that the, the things that you were perhaps had an intention of wanting to heal or thinking that you had to use like the ego or the human self or like the problem solver or logical reason how do i unpack this how do i integrate that but yet there's just the simplicity of moving beyond your experiences as someone who may have experienced a level of trauma or uh, different experiences and then actually connecting to that infinite self which is the self which is existing simultaneously here and now that has never experienced the trauma that will never be affected by the trauma that is already whole and complete that doesn't actually need to be healed and that through an awareness of that concentration, an awareness of that, that enables us to anchor that into our day-to-day -day experience. Because once you have that access, I think you'll agree, you can't unsee that experience which you had. You can't, you can't forget that. Now, the anchoring in of that vibration here is the recognition, as we've talked about before, that ayahuasca, as we work with this in this set and setting, is a tool for you to recognize your own consciousness. It's a tool for you to recognize your own consciousness. So an advice for you would be, if you feel inclined to, would be to meditate on remembering the experience of the mirror consciousness, because that will, with the neural pathways, and it's this similar analogy, begin to open that multidimensional awareness and access point to that so that you can access that more easily in meditation, so that you don't need to drink plant medicines to access that, so that you can have that experience of living beyond thought, living beyond, so not just trauma, but just living beyond thoughts, so that when we have to come to a situation, you know, we have a busy week, and it's like, I need to do this, that, and the other. I need to book these people into the show. I got to go here, here, and here. And it's like, how do I, how do I organize all of that? And the invitation would be in this situation is to meditate into that mirror consciousness state and see if you can embody that state because that mirror consciousness, as you're discussing there, 
has all of the answers all set out. You just kind of just got to show up. It feels like show up to the theme park and just get on the ride and allow it to show you. And that's when we start getting like catalyzing. We start seeing synchronicities when we start experiencing really rapid growth and transformation because we're starting to live and embody our higher self. And we were kind of talking about from the, like the last ceremony and kind of, we talked about this before we went into ceremony about that conflict between what is my higher self and what is my human self. So it feels like perhaps, and see how this resonates, that that mirror consciousness is actually you experiencing yourself beyond what you perceive before. Perhaps you see, this is my higher self. This is, this is um, my lower self. Um, or, you know, my human self, but it feels like this field of consciousness is perhaps a new experience that's actually like, oh, this is actually all of it combined that I didn't even know what that was like. So how, how does that feel or resonate for you? It resonates a lot. Uh, so yes, <laughs> in short, yes, because what happened was, is I'm starting to think this through now is, you know, I was in that dimension and I was like, wait, I'm supposed to be doing healing. And then it kind of just ignored that thought. And then it put me back into the mirror dimension. I said it again. It just ignored that. I said, again, I'm supposed to be healing. It was like, no, 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 just enjoy. And the third time I said, I'm supposed to be healing. It was like, okay. Like, and it started to let go. And right when it started to disappear, I was like, wait, 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 am I like able to come back to this? And they're like, yeah, like we're always here. Like you can tap into this whenever you want. And then even as I just left it, it was probably not more than five to 10 minutes later. I was like, I want to be back. <laughs> I was like, damn it. <laughs> I was like, why did I push myself out of that? Like, like, it, and so to what you're saying, it's like, yeah, I would absolutely, I, it even told me that it's possible to come back to it. Um, I was trying to in that session, but maybe I wasn't supposed to go back in that session to know that I am able to do it on my own to know like what we're articulating right here. Whereas to know that, there isn't like in order to heal is just that remembrance of that infinite being that you are. It's not really about getting into all these like negative things and needing to work them out. And, and though that is probably a gateway in order to get to where you're, where I am at now, because that was how my life unfolded. And I feel like I hear that in a lot of people's stories, you get to that point of just like, just accept it for what it is. You know, why do you, why do you label things as bad or good? This comes back to the porn. It's like, well, if you're doing it once a week, like, is that, why is that bad? I mean, over time we can reduce it. Like, but like, if it's once a week, how do you know that's not healthy? How do you know it's not healthy to recirculate, you know, energy throughout the body? And I think it also probably comes back to intention as well, because I know that there are times where I have like, you know, you kind of feel like almost too much, um, let's say sexual energy. And I think there's utility in it, especially with creation and creating, uh, podcast episodes, creating content. But if it just becomes overwhelming and too built up, it becomes into that over, I guess creation would be feminine. So like it comes over feminized and you're not in control as much. And so whenever I sometimes, I mean, it depends sometimes, but sometimes I'll set that intention of like, okay, I'm doing this in order to kind of circulate out uh, some of the creative energy. Cause I need to kind of get back to balance a little bit. I've been too much into this creative flow. I need to have be a little bit more grounded. And, and I've noticed that it doesn't completely zap my energy as much as if I'm just doing it for recreational fun, like egoic pleasure. How would you articulate it? Kind of feeding into that almost, I guess feeding into the monster, but it's not, that seems a little, 
aggressive for what I'm trying to say. Addiction? Addiction. Yeah, that addiction, because that's what my mind has been construed to view it as. It's like, if you're doing this, then you're addicted. It's Mm -hmm. like, but that's not the case. Like you can have one beer on a weekend and be cool. Um, Personally, I'm at a point where I think if I have like a beer, I honestly like kind of get hung over before I even finish half of it. (laughs) So that's a, that's a completely different situation, right? Where you have this actual physical limitation to it. But yeah, if your mind is so warped around the fact that if I do this at all, then it's an addiction because for a long time I was just like, oh, this has to be normal. Like this isn't a big deal. And I thought that way with alcohol as well, where it was like, oh, well, doctors say that if you drink, you know, 10 in a week, then you're, you know, basically an alcoholic. Meanwhile, I was probably drinking 10 every day, you know, something ridiculous like that. And so you find these ways to rationalize it. And then once you get onto the other side of it, you find a way to rationalize that you can't do it at all. And it's fascinating because it comes back to that balance of like, where is that balance lies? And what got us here was, you know, judging things as good or bad. Why can't it just be what it is? And I really, truly think it comes back to that intention. And this is something that I've been even doing with everything I do now, like whether it's before I get into a podcast, whether it's eating, whether it's resting, whether it's, you know, an ayahuasca ceremony, it's like now, whether it's masturbating, it's like, what is your intention behind this action? You know, and this even comes back to that shoe example we were talking about, where like, if I burn somebody's shoe, it's like, well, what's your intention in burning the shoe? Do you know that this person is going to go and meet their perfect person if they go to a shoe store and this is your motivation to get them to do it? Or are you doing it out of jealousy of that shoe, right? And I think everything that we do has these subconscious intentions attached to them. Whether we're conscious of it or not, there is a subconscious intention behind why we do what we do. And bringing awareness, I think, to that intention before you even do something has to have this massive transformation on your life. And I think it even comes back to where I'm setting, need to set boundaries with people and in the brands and the, you know, people that want to put my podcast on their platforms. It's like, what's my intention behind it? It's like, okay, my intention is I want to help, but I don't want it to inhibit me. Like, I don't want to fully associate with them or like, you know, give them all my time and energy. So like, I'll give you the bare minimum, do with it what you will, but this isn't like a huge thing for me. So, you know, what's that intention? And you'll, by setting that intention, you kind of just give space for that infinite mirror dimension creativity to kind of do the rest, right? It's like, it's that masculine, it's that masculine of what's my intention with this podcast? Okay. It's to help people who are considering maybe doing ayahuasca ceremonies or just want to hear about my experience and maybe heal them even just through the words that we're speaking now and just set that intention. And then I have no idea what we're going to say. I don't even know what the next sentence is I'm going to say, but the point is, is to make them room for that mirror dimension in order to come in, in its infinite, chaotic, beautiful, like way in order to bring forth those words and those vibrations that are going to resonate with somebody else who's listening to this in order for them to absorb that intention that I am setting out within the practice or whatever the action is that I'm about to take. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. So I love that. Um, and, and for some reason, Clayton, what's coming up while you're talking, um, I'm curious to know, cause I keep seeing while you're talking, I keep seeing that 
that human self, you know, that's centering and anchored into all of the human world and everything we got to do. And then that higher self there too. And I keep seeing that, um, you know, you spoke of before the first ceremony, you spoke of coming into it. You were like, yeah, I think there's a dialogue going on between my human self and my higher self of like, what's the, what's the relationship here? What are we doing? Who Are you running the show? Am I running the show? Are we equals? What's going on? I'm just curious if, if over the past few days, over the past two ceremonies, if, if you, where you are with that, if, if, if anything's changed with that, if you've, if you've learned anything from that, if you've gained a, a broader understanding of that relationship for you, what's authentic. I think that's a very fascinating thing to bring up because I don't think I consciously was aware of it, but in you saying that, I do believe that Clayton, you know, we've delineated that Clayton is this human body and Igor is my soul essentially. And so I believe that Clayton is the one making that decision of the intention. Clayton is the one saying, what, what do I intend to occur? And then my goal is to release the control of what's about to happen next and relinquish that to Igor and say, Hey, you got this high level view of my hundreds of past lives, whatever it is. And you know me far better than I know myself, but my intention in this moment is to say, okay, I want this to occur. And now I'm going to make space for you to allow that to occur. And it's quite fascinating even to say that because it's, well, it goes into Moon Knight, <laughs> that Marvel that we haven't talked, you haven't seen yet, but it's really fascinating to see how there's this, that, that inter interconnected nature, I guess, of, okay, I'm in control of the intention, but then if I still sit here and try to become an overbearing, I call it wounded masculine. If I step into my wounded masculine and want to control every single element, like, okay, we're going to talk about this on the podcast and then this, and then I'm going to say this sentence, like, like, first of all, think about how draining that would be as I was actually to sit out and type out, okay, a podcast script for us in order to do something. And it's like, my limited perception as Clayton is not nearly going to create something as beautiful and beautifully chaotic as Igor could possibly create. And I guess that's the the dynamic that's at play because again, it goes back to the idea that we're one, right? Like I don't exist without Igor and Igor's ability to become a more pure, a more high vibrational being doesn't exist without me. So we need each other just as much as I need him as much as he needs me. And so that's where I think I now see this twist or this parallel in this conversation. So I appreciate you bringing that up is that it's Clayton that's saying, okay, this is my intention. Now I'll take a step back and let Igor take over. Mm -hmm. I go into the mirror dimension. Okay. Here's the, here's the intention. All right. Now I'm in the mirror dimension. What are we, what are we going to do? <laughs> do that's you, awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, do you think it could also reverse that the intention could come from Igor and then Clayton then follows it through is the, the physical manifestation. Hmm. Well, I, I do believe that it's my responsibility to take the action. What I guess I see it, and this is a good thing to verify, is that I think there's importance in inspired action. And so I think Igor would drop in the idea of an inspired action mm -hmm. based on what my intention is. Mm -hmm. And so it's still my responsibility as Clayton to actually carry out that inspired 
thing. And this comes back to that song you were talking about. It's like, you know, your soul said, Hey, here's a song that we talked about. Go play it. It's still your decision to go and play that for Jamie or even play it for us last night. It's just making space and being able to feel into that inspired action. And this is what kind of comes back to that wounded masculine that I point out. I know specifically in American culture, it's probably in first world cultures in general, but in American culture where it's like, if I'm not doing something, I'm not being productive. It's like, it's like, no, you should be doing inspired action. And that's what's going to give you those biggest fruits of your labor. It's like, if you're just doing stuff to do stuff, you're burning your own energy. You're going to burn out. Nothing's going to really be as magical as it could be. I mean, sure, you might find success and prosperity, but it's going to be like trying to use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail. You know, I mean, you might finally get the nail in, but you should have just listened to your soul to go and grab the hammer instead of the screwdriver. Interesting. So I have a, a question, I'll just on a slightly different topic, if you feel like it's okay to just to bring that up. Yeah. Just interested to see, because you've, you know, you've been in the experience and you've had, uh, you know, a couple of ceremonies and you've you know been with us for a couple of ceremonies now. I just wondered if you had like a, a take home from the kind of whole experience as they kind of like intertwine together from like mm-hmm. the overarching, over the overarching intention. And I think uh, secondly as well, because I know we've talked about intention and we've talked a lot a bit of like the take homes and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I also think it, some people might have like questions or not really understanding like what the whole process is like actually like as Clayton physically coming down here and doing that work. So I was wondering if you wanted to share a little bit about that. Um, it feels like there was a couple different answers within those questions. Uh, the first thing that was coming through was that it's certainly all connected, right? There's, it's interesting because I feel like there are, huh? I feel like there's pieces in each one. Um, like with the first one, it would have been the movie. And then the second one, and this is interesting because this is things that I'm not going to fully share is the first one was the movie. And the second one would have been the repressed memory where those are things that I'm not going to share because the, the chapter hasn't really even closed on those things. So the doorway is kind of creaked open for both of those things where it comes to the other things, which would be my inner dialogue between Clayton and Igor. Am I a slave or not? Uh, whether it's the mirror dimension or the other big one was the um, boundary setting. It's like those things, the boundary setting is like a tangible inspired action thing that I can do today. And then whenever it comes back to that soul and the mirror dimension, it's more of like that realizing this embodiment of, okay, like we're in this together. I'm the intention setter. He's the one that's going to drop in inspired action. So like it helps me to become it probably helped me become even more trusting in like the process, the universe, understanding like that feeling of, you know, I don't want to just do something to do something. Cause I've, I've done that some from time to time where there's times where I've said that I'm going to set up a certain thing and not really do it. But it's, it's interesting because it wasn't really my idea. It was more of came from somebody else like, Oh, you should do this. And then I'm like, yeah, I like that idea. So I'm going to do it. But then I don't put my energy in. I don't put the authentic real Clayton into it because it really wasn't even my inspired idea to do it. And so I know that my highest energy isn't going towards that. Um, what was the second part of your question? 
Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. And so I think it's it's nice to see how that's kind of coming together. And absolutely, you know, we're we're still just kind of like a you know even twelve hours after ceremonies kind of close. So of course that'll continue to to unfold and unravel. It'd be interesting to see how that feels in one, two, three months' time as that starts to kind of make more sense. As we were talking last night, even that song that that came through is like five years ago or something like that for for us. There's, um, it's still bringing meaning to us, bringing, bringing different revelations to us. So that can continue to happen. You know, integration, uh, I'm still integrating on some levels my first ayahuasca ceremony five years later or six years later, however long it is, just, 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 um, very beautiful how that continues to, to keep giving. For sure. And yeah, the second part of the question was in terms of more of a kind of logistical, practical, like a sense or just like, how the experience has been because i know that when we speak to a lot of people there's like a lot of fears that come up for people about coming to an ayahuasca is it safe what's it like you know am i able to go into this experience obviously you're someone who's very adept at navigating those types of realms and being here and has some experience but i was just wondering if you wanted to speak anything about the experience itself that might help people who are kind of like connecting to some of these things that like well okay this sounds really interesting but i'm not kind of sure if this is for me or how does it work is it safe what's it like being down there that type of thing yeah that's actually probably a really good thing to elaborate on for people that are listening and it's interesting because i'm thinking about whenever i talked with jamie what two months ago about the preparation thing and i'm like you know my mindset at the time two months ago was like oh like you know i've healed stuff i'm good like you know there's not really I mean, I knew there was going to be more stuff to come up, but I was like, I'm not really nervous. It is what it is. Like, I'm excited to just see it and try it out. And then as it kind of got closer, once I arrived in PSAC, once I kind of got here, um, it kind of thoughts emerged because people have died doing ayahuasca where it's like, you know, that thought had creeped into me. It's like, well, what if I die doing it? Like, what's going to happen? Like, what would the repercussions be? But then it came back to my intention where I was like, if for some reason I died, then that would have been for the highest good of myself and everybody else in vibration because that was my intention. So the irony is, is it's like, even if I die doing this, I had already set my intention of this being for my highest self and everybody else who is in contact with me on all levels of existence, all planes of consciousness. And so it, so it kind of like helped me a little bit to be like, well, you know, like, I know there's life after this. I know I'll reincarnate again, I, I assume. So like, to me, that was kind of a, and I know that could be kind of come across as scary maybe to some people, but that kind of helped me kind of get to that place. And the other thing that I was thinking of is, is I had the same energy kind of as a podcast. And this is something I kind of deal with, with like trusting the process and everything where it's like the the day of, I was kind of like, oh, all right, I just want this to already be over with. I already wanted to be like in the next like phase of my existence. I already want to be recording the podcast, like the integration. I don't even care what happens. Like, and it's really interesting how the mind does that because I even do that with the podcast from time to time. It's like, oh, all right, hopefully this person cancels. Like, I don't really want to do it. Like yada, yada, yada. And this is a really powerful thing that I've been absorbing more. And I've shared with both of you is that I truly believe that we purely view anxiety as this negative force. We truly believe like at a human level that anxiety is only negative and a bad thing and something we should avoid. Yet I, 
even through this experience, it's even reiterating it more that there is an excited anxiety. There's an anxiety of like, I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on. Like, this is so cool. This is energizing. This is getting my stomach in knots because there's beauty that's about to unfold. There's that beautiful chaos. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's beautiful in a sense. And that's what it's beautiful. And that's what gives us that anxiety is not knowing like in the mirror dimension, you don't, you don't know where that next turn of this, you know, infinite calculated thing is going to go because although it's geometric shapes, it still has like this movement of its own and you just look at it in its beauty. And it's kind of something I think happens in a podcast or even music. Like if someone's just rifting on a guitar, you don't know where they're going with it. You don't know what's going to happen next. It's like, and that's where I think the best podcasts, the best musics all live is on that verge of beauty and chaos. It's like, you're just straddling that line of everything could just fall apart in the next second, but you're somehow holding on to whether it's the melody or the intention or the deeper understanding of what's going to occur. And I think that there's probably, at least within me, maybe some still level of still trying to trust the process, trust that everything's like right. And maybe that's slightly where this quote unquote anxiety comes from. I'm starting to just read and phrase it of like excited anxiety, you know, like I'm excited to start the podcast. I'm excited to interview this person. It's anxiety that's saying that I'm on the right path. I I should be going to this um, ceremony. And even at a more micro scale, I realized that being present kind of came up in this as well. It's because you know, I guess anxiety comes from the future, wanting to be in that place past where I'm at. And what I even noticed happening was like, even as I was going into, we were going into the room, it was like, okay, I already just want to drink the medicine. Okay. I already have wanted just to integrate this stuff. Okay. I already, and every time I would say that, I kind of catch myself. I'd be like, no, just be present. This is an important part of all of this. Just the meditation beforehand, the anxiety beforehand, the watching, you know, Michael pour the glass. It's, you know, it's just, it's all a part of what's supposed to happen. You know, it, they didn't set in for like an hour. It's like, are you fine? Like nothing's going to happen. Then let's just like fast forward all this to the next like stage of my life. And it's like, and it's just like sitting with that, that being present of, you know, you'll get to that next stage. You'll be at that next spot. Just enjoy where you're at now. Mm. That's beautiful. Just wanted to, to also quickly clarify as well, um, with regards to deaths that have occurred with ayahuasca, they've happened for the majority of reasons, which I just want to outline is that people use different plant mixtures in the ayahuasca. So they'll put tobacco or toe or other admixtures, which is why, as Jamie was saying before, that the, the medicine that we use is pure ayahuasca and chacruna. And then people take ayahuasca whilst they're taking pharmaceutical medications or they have contraindications or heart problems, which is just problems that can just be completely avoided. So ayahuasca is certainly not for everyone, which is why we outline everything on the website of just like, hey, if you've got any questions about these conditions, do that. So it's very interesting though how that anxiety can arise because you know, you come in. I remember when I first was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to Peru. And I was like, this is a good idea. And I kind of got there and I was like, what have I done? When <laughs> I first kind of started drinking ayahuasca down here. But I think, I think that's beautiful of just like saying that being present with each part of the process, because that whole process really started for us 
like a few months ago, right? It was like when we first started talking about it and then, you know, we started doing preparation. And then this process now is like, even though it's culminating in a couple of ceremonies, it's kind of like the crescendo. That's like, as you were saying, it's still that process, which is now unwinding. And then we can kind of give more um, precedence to one experience or another, rather than just recognizing the wisdom and the beauty in every moment. Yeah. Yeah, what's coming through to me is also... Um, cause you know, I'm, I'm kind of still trying to get like the money rolling. It's starting to come through, but I'm still at that like beginner stage and there's still anxiety and, and a little bit of fear of like, well, what if it never comes? And it's interesting cause I have a buddy who lives in, uh, he was, he was on the podcast for an episode, but he lives in uh, Georgia, uh, the country and he makes a good amount of money, let's say over $10,000 a month. And I was talking to him about it and he kind of brought up that like he he always said that he almost misses like the days of being a starving artist he like almost misses the days of when he wasn't sure what was going to happen next like what's the next piece of the puzzle like what's this and so it's such a fascinating viewpoint to hear somebody who arguably is successful like think about it if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a month and yet you're going i assume that there are people who still well i know it like like even the basic question is is like would you rather have your body old, decaying, dying and be super rich or would you be broke and, poor and young? And like 10 times out of 10, people say they would rather be young and broke than be rich and decrepit. And so it's like this fascinating viewpoint of bringing it back to just enjoy where you're at now. Like trust the process. Just be here. Yeah. It's okay. You can enjoy being poor, like quote unquote poor. I mean, you know, the world's abundant. It depends how you define poor, right? Like yeah. it's like, I mean, look at the beauty that we just had last night. I mean, I consider myself overwhelmed in abundance of, um, you know, what would you call it of wealth? I mean, of course it's not financial wealth, but it's, you know, still wealth and a different scope of things. And so, yeah, I, I find that another indication of just enjoying being present where you are and enjoying the process mm. nice just trying to quickly put on that what's to say though because i know we talked about abundance as part of intentions what's to say that that recognition of that wealth won't manifest now that is actually that that abundance flowing in that recognition of that that will that will manifest in a, a whole plethora of different ways for you oh for sure yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm not saying I'm not saying by any means that I don't want the money to come. <laughs> I do. I'm I'm encouraging that wealth and abundance, of course. Um, it's just that, you know, if you're, it's just like more of that like perpetual state yeah. of if you're always looking for, okay, well, when when I have ten thousand, I'll be happy when this occurs. I'll be happy when it's like, it's like you're gonna miss out on so much of life if you keep setting these goalposts, even a day in the future, you know. Clayton, I have to, I have to tell you something um, that I really appreciated last night uh, post ceremony. When you know what happens after ceremony is sometimes there's you know an hour or two or three <clears throat> of um, meditating on whatever happened, and then also talking about things. And then um, as you've been noticing or been aware of in the two ceremonies um, that you know after ceremony, oftentimes. Uh, Michael or I, or I would say facilitators or, or uh, ceremony leaders in general, there's a level of sort of self-care that has to happen after ceremony to kind of like 
I'm going to say, I always call it sort of like a recovery of like, okay, we just did this big thing. Now, what do I need to do here to, to recharge or regain my energy or whatever that is? And, um, I know last night at one point, um, uh, Michael and I were helping each other sort of energetically and doing some energetic work on each other. And that you saw that also at the first ceremony, Michael, I was needing help. Michael was like, hold on, let me help Jamie real quick. And, uh, last night, and then, and I realized that when, when I was walking out, you know, I kept trying to go make us tea. Yeah. <laughs> Three hours. Yeah. I'm like, guys, I'm going to go make us tea. And then some other conversation would happen. I'd be like, okay, never mind. I'm going to stick around. Um, but when I was finally going out the door and I was like, I just realized I was like, I was like, you know, I'm sitting, this is so common for Michael and I, that this is what happens and this is what we do. And this is just part of the whole process. And I thought, well, I guess Clayton doesn't know that. So that's why I was like, oh, by the way, Clayton, you know, when we do this, this is what you're privy to. This is what's happening. And this is why we have to do that. And then when I was like, and, you know, and normally we're helping participants also in the same way, energetically kind of like process through and clean and recover after ceremony and, and sort of get back in themselves or, or process through things. And when you were like, oh, like, can you do that with me right now? Yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah. But and it made me realize that I had just been perceiving that you're fine. Clayton's fine. He's fine over there. He doesn't need any help. And when you were like, uh, can you guys do something for me? I was like, yeah. Like, so it was, I just appreciated that so much. You saying that, um, because I, honestly, I didn't, I didn't know that you needed help in that way. And so it was really lovely. Um, and then, you know, then another opportunity for me to not go make tea. Um, <laughs> so giving us the opportunity to kind of look in and, and see, you know, especially talking about that place in your solar plexus that through both ceremonies, I know you've mentioned, you've been real sensitive to the way it feels and how it's, um, whatever type of uh, sensation or discomfort it's bringing to you in the physical experience and ceremony. And so that was really lovely. And I appreciate you doing that. It made me um, realize, and I told Michael last night after ceremony, I said, I said, um, well, you know, I just realized like it's beneficial to communicate to our participants that, yeah, there's things that go on. You may need help after ceremony and not just during ceremony, but afterwards. And um, and it's okay to request, can, can someone can help work on something, you know? So we were really happy to do that. And that was a really lovely, um, opportunity for us to be of assistance to you. And I really appreciated it. So I'm glad I appreciate you saying, Hey, do me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's actually probably a huge piece that in my life I need to integrate as well, which is. And I kind of mentioned this to you guys yesterday and I'm kind of realizing how much deeper it is given what you said is, you know, so throughout majority of the ceremony, like I was pretty good. Like, I mean, I had discomfort in my stomach, but in my mind, I'm just like, oh, like, you know, I'll figure this out on my own. And something that was also kind of happening throughout the ceremony was like you were saying, you guys helping each other. And I told you this last night is that there was a little bit of a trigger in me of like, wait, why aren't they helping me? Like, this is my ceremony. Why aren't they coming to me? 
And my first realization was like, wait, like this is a beautiful like thing to watch between, you know, a man and a woman, you know, in a healthy relationship, being able to take care of each other, each one being able to embody the masculine or feminine whenever they need to take care of the other person. And what you kind of just brought up there was probably the next element actually of what I go through where I'm very much, I'll figure it out. Like I'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. I'll do it on my own. I can do it. And you know, it was, I know it was certainly, it certainly felt a little bit like a barrier of some sort to be like, Hey, like, you know, there's discomfort here. Can you do something for that? Like, and it's weird because like, there's this feeling of like asking you to go out of your way to do something for me, which I'm sure comes back to some sort of a link with, you know, my past and, you know, family dynamics. And because, you know, I feel like you two were embodying like a healthy relationship. And so that's probably a projection that I was putting on to what you guys were doing. And so to ask of a two people taking care of each other to come and look at me is something that feel felt something that felt uncomfortable, mm. something that felt like I needed to vocalize because I could feel these like little pokes at times to be like, Hey, um, you know, can you like work on my stomach? And I think even the first time, whenever, after like that first cup, whenever I was like, Hey, can you work on my stomach? Um, like even that I was like trying to ask a couple times, but then it wasn't until I was like, just do it, just do it. Just ask, just ask that. Then you kind of gave me that feedback. And then I even know as you were leaving, I was like, Oh, well, she's about to go make lemonade. Like I, I bet other people want the lemonade. Like, <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? And so it's like, just push through it. Like if you need something like ask and it's like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And so, you know, and then that went through the whole situation with like the repressed memory and stuff. But the core concept there being is I think that's another element, another layer of the onion that I need to examine, you know, with regards to even being able to ask for help. And I even noticed that with my podcast is like, it's difficult for me sometimes to reach out to certain people who... I admire or see them with higher follower counts. Like they're not going to reply. Like I shouldn't ask help from them. I should just ask help from people who have less followers than me because I know they'll say yes, you know, kind of thing. And so, yeah, I'm not really sure how to put a button on that, but I just know that there's another layer there um, that <laughs> trying to discover within myself. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's beautiful to go through that process of asking for help because there's so much shame. And I think especially for, for, for a man as well, that we're taught to, you know, be a provider or not to ask for help or quote unquote show weakness. So that process of actually saying, oh, I could use some help. Once we go and go through that barrier, it's kind of like, I don't know how you're feeling today, but like for me, when I kind of went through that first process and I got help and I was like, that was awesome. I'm like, I'm going to start doing that more, but it kind of goes through more and more layers and more and more layers of like, okay, this is okay. And then it kind of can a pendulum swing, come back to the other side of like, okay, what am I actually is beneficial for me to kind of like sit with myself and then what can I ask for help for? <clears throat> so yeah, it's it's very interesting, and you know, for for Jamie and I leading ceremonies, so the the kind of like the kind of behind the scenes work that's going on is when we're singing Icaros, 
we're basically holding the space, we're cleaning energy, we're working with trauma. There's different energies that will be around in the space that will need cleaning and kind of like, you know, as you kind of like talk about going into the, some of these different like blockages and other things like that as they're being released, as the Icaros, the healing songs go and do work on your body, they can command, connect with spirit to kind of go in, go into the cells of the body and, and clean all that up and out. And what can happen is that energy comes up into the ceremony space and then we're singing to clean that. But as you're doing that, it's kind of like the person who's singing the energies come to try and shut down the person from singing so that those energies can't be cleaned mm. so then you're continuously as a ceremony leader or corindero cleaning that space keeping all the participants safe keeping the participants clean so that uh, the participants don't really know any of this is just going on. <laughs> no. just kind of, I'm in the mirror dimension. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and we're kind of like doing all this cleaning work and it comes up. And then by the time it's kind of cleaned and everything's protected, the kind of the effects of the medicine, which is known as the Marius Yon, have kind of cleared, help ground you down into your body. And you've kind of been singing for three hours. It's kind of like you've been kind of doing like tough mudder or something where you've been kind of going through an assault course full of mud. So then when we finish at the end of the ceremony, then it's like we have to like, clean that energy off because we all get stuck with that energy on there so it's like we're for us to work successfully we have to have very very clear communication of a recognition of like when i was singing like jamie can you come over and it's it's not that often that i usually ask for help in those situations and i, I could have got through the situation without jamie coming over and helping and doing some energy work on me whilst i was singing to you but it was very clear in that moment. Again, now, if we're talking about that mirror dimension, there's not really a thought. It's not really a, oh, I should ask for Jamie. It's just ask Jamie for help and embodiment. Jamie, can you help? Carry on singing. Because there's no time to kind of like yes. deliberate that. There's no time for me to go. And I've done this before. I was like, should I ask for help or shouldn't I ask for help? Should I ask for help? Shouldn't I ask right. for help? It's just like, that just makes things worse. It's like, can you help? But I also know the situations in ceremonies where one of us will be helping someone else. And then it's like that help, that help's not available. So to bring this back to the integration of why that's really important, it's the ability to ask for help without the expectation that it's going to have to, what you ask for is going to be done. And the reason why it can sometimes be very difficult for us to ask for help is because if we ask for help and someone says no, coming back to the boundaries where someone is just actually exhibiting a healthy boundary of unconditional love, which is not contraction, it's expansion, what we talked about before, when someone exhibits that boundary, the negative trauma patterns, karmic patterns, whatever it may be, familial, ancestral patternings can cause us to feel like we've been abandoned. So the part of us, the inner child, that will do anything to not feel abandoned, will do anything to feel loved, will then create a protective barrier that says, I'm better off doing this on my own because if I ask for help, if I open up, if I'm vulnerable and say that I need it, what will happen if it doesn't come? What will happen to me if that doesn't come? So the balance, the healing work from that is the ability to be able to ask for help, but knowing it's kind of like that, that expression that you say, it's better to have loved and lost and never to have loved at all. It's kind of, in my experience, it's better to have asked for help and know what's available to you so that you can make an assessment of that situation. Great, my best option is to actually ask for help. And kind of coming back to like the um, situation of then it not happening, you can just recognize 
it's not available, I'll I'll be okay. I'll trust the universe, I'll trust, trust the process. So that's a really important process for us, I think, in our marriage and our work and everything is recognizing that we're here to support each other. That if one of us says no or we're not able to do that, I'm not saying that we don't get triggered from time to time and other things like this, but for the majority of it, we're in a recognition that everyone has their own process and everyone is able to manage their energy. All we really need to do is to be effectively communicating how we're feeling. And you might've noticed last, last night, I think this is interesting to bring up when Jamie's saying, do you need some help? And I thought that she was going to need to kind of do some energy work with me. And I was just able to say something, or I think we shared the one where I was just purging in the bucket. And as I was purging, I lit a candle at the same time Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't purge and the light came on and Jamie's like, do you need more help? And I was like, no, I think it was just a candle that I needed. <laughs> so the candle was just like, oh, that, that nice. Or coming over and just wanted to say something. And then rather than the actual thing I think I needed, it was just my ability to actually say, I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable here right now. I'm feeling a little bit energetically drained. Like, can you help? Just to be able to share that and recognize that I'm not on my own is sometimes enough to not actually need to go through with the whole full kind of like full shabam of like support just to actually recognize, oh, I'm not alone in this process. And that can be incredibly, incredibly healing in, in the ayahuasca ceremonies. And that's one of the reasons as well, why we, we work with such small groups because there is that, that there is that um, intimacy. There is that kind of deep connection where you're feeling held, you're feeling supported through that process. And that can really transform those years and decades of situations where we have been abandoned, where the help hasn't been available, where we've not learned how to communicate that. So when you take that from the ayahuasca ceremony and setting, and as you've linked that to the podcast, then looking at ways in life, where can I ask for appropriate action and help from others that feels aligned and begin to create support structures? Because, you know, we're making this transition from third to fourth density, and that's really a part of that community and connection that we're moving into. It's beautiful. Nothing's really coming up for me. <laughs> um is there anything else at this point that you guys talk about with integration or? I've just got, I've got another question for you out of just curiosity again of your own process. Uh, you know, I know that, I know that uh, coming into the first ceremony that you were having that nervous feeling in your solar plexus and then in ceremony feeling more sensitivity to it and then second ceremony and then the snake coming and, and doing work through your body that you talked about in the first integration session and then hitting that place in the solar plexus and the snake's like, this is you. Yeah. You got this one from here. I'm just curious for you from before the first ceremony to today, again, that's a course of maybe three days. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you have any greater understanding of what that is in your solar plexus? Has that always been there or are, do you now have a heightened awareness of it? How, what, what's been your experience with that from the start of the first ceremony to this morning? I think it's something that comes up from time to time. It's not something that's very prevalent. It's definitely something that I've mostly seen when doing energy or healing work. And I guess I can't say I'm hundred percent sure. My first thought is that it comes back to the Clayton versus Igor conversation that like, what's my purpose? Like, I don't know. It's like, Oh, it's just set the intention, make space. Let the, I mean, I know that's a gross simplification. Um, you know, look for the inspired action. I think that's a huge part of it. 
with that being said, I still feel it even like today. So I'm not, maybe there's more. Um, maybe it's something that I need to meditate on, go into the mirror dimension and even just ask there and be like, Hey, like, I think I'm ready. Like, am I ready now for it? You know? Um, and so that's what I'm kind of thinking is it's, and this is probably actually is what makes it even more powerful than that snake just telling me is that now I actually have a tool in order to go in and do this on my own. That tool being meditate, get to the mirror dimension, then say, Hey, what is this in my solar plexus? What's this tension in my sacral? What is like, what is the message that my body is trying to tell me here and show me it in this other dimension or other realm of what is going on. And I think that's probably like even more powerful, right? Than if that snake were to be like, Oh, it's this and this, it's like, great. You gave me, it's like teaching a, you know, um, what is it? Uh, catch a person, a fish, feed them for a day, teach them how to fish, feed them for a lifetime kind of deal. And so what I feel like is it's more that process of being like, okay, like, you know, you set these intentions, you know, that you can make space, you can go into the mirror dimension, then you can take inspired action. And that's kind of probably what the even boundary thing came up. It's like, here's how you can, here are situations in your current life where you can set appropriate boundaries, do that, you know? And so I think that's really probably the, at the base of it, the core fundamental idea that (laughs) is probably what's being granted to me in that situation. It's like, yeah, you're not supposed to know yet because we wanted to give you the tools in order for you to figure it out on your own. Because as we've discussed, if you figure it out on your own, it makes a lot more sense than if Jamie or Michael tells me, or even if this like mythical snake tells me, if Clayton and Igor figure it out, I guess Igor probably already knows, but if Clayton figures it out, then you feel, I feel more empowered and it resonates with me at a deeper level as it being a true truth, as opposed to just somebody else or something else told me it's like no and on furthermore i have like now a tool so anytime something like this comes up i now have this tool that i can use whenever it deems appropriate yeah i think that's beautiful so well put and i think that's very very important in that process from transforming plant medicine experiences into lifelong changes when you integrate those tools rather than just feeling like it's i have to take a plant medicine to be able to heal myself and we kind of that's kind of like it's not really the answer it's a releasing responsibility in Mm -hmm. a sense so yeah just to to move on to ask about other things that we'd share for integration and i think this is a really important point for, for yourself and for other people and I'd say that you're already well versed in these in these different um, settings and what I'm about to describe. But we can describe or trauma or separation. We, we can describe that as something that is um, being perpetuated, or when we have an energy or depression or anxiety or PTSD or addiction, whatever it may be. The invitation is to see that where am I being separate from God? Where am I being separate from oneness? And we often describe that the original trauma is actually incarnation, actually recognizing that you're or feeling behind the veil of illusion that you're separate from oneness and separate from God. So why is that important for the mirror state? As we've discussed, the mirror state is actually you merging back with oneness, or we discussed that experience of merging back, connecting, recognizing yourself as the infinite creator and that unconditional love that heals all wounds. So 
taking from being born, recognizing that separation. Now we recognize, okay, I'm not just a human. I'm an infinite being incarnating. I've had the mirror dimension experience beyond form with this infinite consciousness, which is still kind of just like embryonic and it's kind of awareness to you that's going to keep unfolding on itself. But we can look at those symptoms of separation like anxiety, PTSD, trauma, not being able to hold down a job or a relationship or whatever it might be, whatever may that may manifest. We can start to reconcile that separation from God, that separation from oneness in very simple, actionable ways, which I'll share at least three of the main things that are coming up, is the separation from nature, separation from community and the separation from a higher consciousness. So when we can actually start to incorporate those three pillars into our life by spending more time in nature, meditating, and in your case, it feels like the great example of that is connecting to that mirror state. And then, you know, as we've also had through this experience, we've had such great deep conversations and communities through this process, and then continuing to share and connect with people who are feeling that they will benefit from those experiences and that you'll benefit from being around them, creating that sense of community. We have the antidote to the symptoms of separation by consciously cultivating the connection to nature, to our higher self, uh, also with our physical body, you know, looking after our physical body, but creating that connection to nature, higher self, community, health. We can then day by day make choices that from this catalytic experience, which you had here on some levels healing trauma and some levels connecting to that mirror consciousness, that you're then able to spend time consciously each day, you know, journaling, spending time in nature, having conscious connection with others, meditating, or you know, having more conversations on the podcasts, whatever it may be. You're able then to continue to cultivate those different aspects of the oneness into your life and your being so that the experience doesn't necessarily fade away when you kind of go back home you're able to then recognize that that's able to add fuel to that fire of transformation that continues to burn and then look at those areas in your life where perhaps I feel like this maybe is actually lacking or I actually feel like I could maybe spend some more time cultivating this area. And you can bring yourself into the balance with the oneness of all things and that can continue to create that transformation that can help you integrate that experience and continue to transform and the insights, the awarenesses will continue to unfold very possible, very probable that in two, three, four weeks, you might be sitting out meditating under a tree. You're like, that's what that was going on in a ceremony. Right. Or this is what was happening. Or like, oh, wow, I can actually see the effects of having boundaries with people in my life that no longer serve me. And it's actually created uh, space for conscious content creation or content, conscious connection and community with others. So it's like, it's super interesting to start incorporating those into every aspect of your life where possible. Yeah, the most rapid implementation, especially around boundaries that I've seen is, so I was at a place, like I have an app now for traveling to consciousness, which if anyone's listening, it's a good plug, go download it. Uh, but before I had it, you know, I was going through these processes and I wanted to get on the Google Play Store and the Apple Play Store or iTunes Store. And what you need to do is like fill out all these forms and go through all this stuff. Well, I couldn't get past the very first 
step, which is to upload like my driver's license because the video or the picture format was wrong or the picture was too, um, or the picture was too, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, blurry, like based on all these different ways that I was trying to do it. And it was a very simple fix, but I'll get to that. So I couldn't even complete the first step. Right. And through meditation, I realized that I needed to start setting boundaries because there was a kid who kept just messaging me on Instagram, looking for help, like not really looking for help, but more like my life is a mess. Tell me what to do kind of thing. Not really trying to find it within himself. And I was giving him far too much attention. And so what happened was, is I realized that I needed to set a boundary with him. I forget what brought me to that awareness, but I set a boundary with him. I was like, dude, like you got to stop, like, you know, do this on your own. And then he sent me a message like, or he sent me like two messages. Like you need to help me like faster. You have to reply faster because I don't know how to answer like these questions that I'm having, like with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> and so that for me was like this trigger of just like, hilarious. it was, it was <laughs> still got the message. We can check it out later. Um, I was like, dude, like, you know, it's being, you're being disrespectful of my time. Like I'm trying to help you. This is one of the kids that I actually gave my digital course away for, for free. Didn't look at it. 0% completion. And so I set that boundary and it felt good. I mean, he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. I didn't really reply. And you know, I, I hope that that's for his best self, but the crazy manifestation that occurred out of me doing that was the app. So I got this inspired action. Couldn't have been a much like more than an hour or two after I did that to go and retry to sign up for the app. And I realized the issue with the picture that I was trying to upload for my phone was it was like an H E I C format, which is like when you do a live photo, it has like that little like delay. There's like a half a second that it's actually capturing. So all I had to do was actually just screenshot the photo and then crop it and then upload it. And it was a simple fix, but it keeps going. So I, there was probably, I can't remember what they all were, but there was like three or four steps with iTunes. Google was pretty easy, but iTunes, I like, I needed to fill out like an application. And then it said it was going to take them like 48 to 72 hours to get back to me within like two hours. They were like, Oh, you're approved. Here's the next step. It's like, Oh, that's interesting. And so then I did the next step, which, um, I forget what it was again, but then at the end of it, it was like, this will take five to seven days for us to process. The next day I get an email saying, you know, this is complete. Like, you know, you just have one more step to do. And so, which I filled it all out and it was like, okay, we'll email you within seven to 10 days looking for a, um, for you to set up a meeting with somebody in order to verify you are who you say you are and just talk to you on the phone. Less than two hours later, I got a call from somebody and I never answer like random numbers that call me, but I was like, this inspired. I was like, okay, let's pick it up. And they're like, Hey, like, um, is this Clayton? I was like, yeah. They're like, Oh, we're from Apple. Like, is this a good time to do your meeting? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so they like answered all the questions, answered it out. And they're like, okay, you're approved. And so this happened within the course of 48 hours. And, you know, it was like five to seven business days for each step. I go and talk to the people who are like my hosting platform for the app. And I'm like, Hey, um, by the way, I have like iTunes and Google all set up. And they're like, what do you mean you have it all set up? I was like, it's, it's done. Like you can check out all this stuff. And they were like, the, the guy kind of like stuttered. And I was like, well, like, you know, here's the information, go log in. And he's like, he's like, Oh shit. He's like, yeah, you do have it all done. He's like, this is wild. Cause it usually takes like two to three months for people to fill out this application form with Apple. 
And he's like, Apple must be on top of their shit. And I'm saying they're just like, yeah, or the universe is just like aligning with the fact that I set this boundary and then it unlocks like this. And I, from this experience, I developed like this gate and now like life gate system where it's like, you can't get all the way to the end. Like there's these gates that are in place in order to almost prevent you from overshooting yourself and taking on too much in this human form where it's like, okay, you learn boundaries. Okay. This gate's going to lift up. Now you're able to progress through creating your app, but then you run into the next gate, you know? And so it's like this gate system that prevents you from overstraining the human experience or a gate system that allows you to figure out all these life lessons as they come to you. It's interesting. Yeah, I like that gate. I can resonate with the gate system. Like, why is things not working? And all of a sudden it just opens and it's like, oh, now it's like, now it's time. That makes sense. It wouldn't have worked before. We weren't ready for that. Right. Yeah. It's something that seems so inconsequential, like me setting boundaries. And yet my app just takes off in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Just crazy. Yeah. So Clayton, how would you summarize your experience, if you were to summarize your experience of working with us over over the last few days? It's interesting because coming into it, I think I have some sort of perception and I think this might happen frequently based on the stories that people are exposed to with plant medicine. And I don't, and I don't know that this is purely like a reflection on you guys. I think this is a general thing where people believe that there's going to be just like this little piece of information that's shown to them and everything's going to make sense and everything's going to be right in the world. And I no longer have to do anything. And it's just beauty and magic. And there's nothing left for me to do kind of thing from like this one deal. But it was this, this whole process was another reminder that it's not about just one thing. You know, it's, it's, it's unlocking that next gate. It's trying to figure out like, how do you just get to this next layer of your evolution? And it's different for many people. I'm sure there's people that go into ayahuasca ceremonies who have never done psilocybin ceremonies. There's people who will do psilocybin ceremonies and never do an ayahuasca ceremony. And so that's kind of my perception of it is just that echoes that within the idea of like the plant medicine space and the idea of the idea of the plant medicine space and just, you know, realizing and it kind of gets interesting because it's like all these answers are within ourselves. And I think that's something that I've also kind of taken away sometimes after plant medicine ceremonies, like, Oh, I, already knew that or like anytime I've done like an Akashic record reading, it's like, people are like, Oh, I already knew that. But sometimes you need that extra divine aspect in order to give you that viewpoint into it. And the thing I'll add with respect to both of you is that, you know, and this was talked about in this integration we've talked about it, the embodiment of seeing a relationship that can hold divine femininity and divine masculinity within itself, because I don't, see that anywhere in my life. Like I don't, I don't see it a healthy version of it basically anywhere. Like it, it almost is non-existent to me, but yet there's this deep knowing that it does exist. And so to have a private ceremony with a man and a woman in, you know, a relationship and being able to see that, that balance of, okay, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you can't step into your divine masculine. And because you're a man doesn't mean you can't step into your divine feminine 
seeing, I think that balance for me was super beneficial on more levels than I can even fathom at this point. Mm -hmm. And even integrating at the end there with being able to ask help from somebody who embodies that um, divine essence on both sides of the spectrum. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because like at the time of the ceremony, you think like nothing really happened. Yeah. I went into the mirror dimension. Yeah. Like I know some boundaries I need to set, but then when you sit here and you reflect on all of it, it's like, <laughs> it's like, whoa, like, and this was, this is funny. Cause we talked about this last night where I was like, oh, well, like nothing really crazy happened, but it's like, once you take a second to step back and actually look at it, it's like every single moment is crazy. I mean, it depends on your definition of crazy, of course, like how abstract and wild and out there do you want it to be? But once you take the step back and, you know, sit down and talk about an integration ceremony or session and have all of these recollections coming back and being like, oh, wow. Like, and even you reflecting back, like, well, how does that relate to this? And then it's like, oh shit, like there's another layer there or there's another element there. So it's, yeah, that would be my experience over the last, what, three, four days. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. You're welcome. That's beautiful. And you'll be invited to come to our monthly integration sharing circles that I have an online that we're, we're starting again this month. So yeah. Or next month. Yeah, it's next month. It's not August. Month. I meant August. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. But yeah. So we'll have that and, you know, we just you know, invite you to keep in touch about, you know, your process and how that, you know, I'm sure we'll keep in touch on, on different levels and, you know, For just sure. watch that to, to unfold. But yeah, it's been an absolute, absolute honor and pleasure yeah. to be here with you. It's been really, really great, really, really beautiful. And, you know, we just feel so very privileged to be able to be of service to you and just so grateful for you putting the trust in this work with us. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. I mean, it's, it's been amazing and just can't wait to see the next stage of the evolution. And yeah. And something's telling me that this is probably going to be the last segment of this episode that I'm uploading. So for all the conscious monkeys who have sat through and powered through and listened to every single incredible, in my opinion, piece of advice, this is probably going to be the longest podcast at almost four hours that I'm going to put together, which is crazy. And I love it. I love every (laughs) aspect of it. (laughs) Part of me was thinking like I was going to divvy them up. But as I was sitting here, I was like, no, we're making a four hour episode out of this. So for all the conscious monkeys who have listened to this, I mean, that's like, I cannot fathom someone else wanting to sit and listen to my own experience for four hours. But if you did, I can only imagine the immense amount of information that you've taken in. And I'm sure there's parts you're going to need to re-listen to because I know I'm going to want to re-listen to it. Um, But with that being said, conscious monkeys, I will see you all in the sixth dimension. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.